ChatGPT is going to do the intro? Yeah. Get ready to kick off your week with Rem and Sam. This dynamic duo is bringing you the latest sports news, in-depth analysis, and exclusive interviews. No, that's not true. But uh, in-depth analysis from touchdowns to slam dunks, Rem and Sam have got you covered. So sit back, relax, and let the games begin. All right. You heard chat GBT. Live on air. I literally just typed that prompt in. Yeah, the AI is taking over. It's even writing us intro. So that works. Whatever works, man. But yeah, pretty much letting the games begin. And we're talking about a game that ended probably the biggest one in Iowa basketball history so far. Ends in a loss as the Iowa women took on LSU Sunday night. Most viewed women's game ever. I think according to average viewership. Before we get into the drama, just talking about basketball itself, I think it was pretty obvious Iowa was outmatched. Uh, Caitlin was just taken out of her game. You know, she wasn't dropping the 40-point triple-double. And um, it looked like LSU just had more talent all around and kind of just handled business. And even though South Carolina was the better team in the regular season, better record, you know, they're undefeated, 36-0, and Don Staley, stud, it's – maybe the number one program in college basketball right now, but weirdly enough as like a matchup, it was a better matchup for Iowa because South Carolina didn't have the shooting that LSU had. And defensively, Iowa was able to pack the lane. They were just double team, triple team, Aaliyah Boston, all the bigs in the middle. There was one, one of the girls for South Carolina. I wish I remember their name. Cardoza. Maybe she went off in that final four game against Iowa had like a 15 and 15 game. Iowa was doing everything they could in that game, and it was still took the Caitlin Clark 40-point game, took the historic effort, and they barely got the win. So the LSU matchup was a bad matchup. Angel Reese is a stud player. You know, she's 20 and 10 all season. I know that South Carolina may have looked like the more daunting opponent, but as a matchup, LSU was a worse matchup, and it was unfortunately ended the historic Caitlin Clark run for Iowa. Well, you know, it could also not be over. It ended this season's run. This she's season. coming back next year. Yeah, she's coming back senior season. Who knows? It could be better. You know, obviously, hopefully better. You know, we do lose Monica Cesano, who's a big piece to this team as a rim runner. I mean, very consistent contributor inside, you know, in the paint, you know, solid rim protector. So she'll be a big loss to this team. But Caitlin, the Caitlin show isn't over, folks. She'll she'll be back and probably stronger than ever. But, of course, the biggest drama wasn't on the court. Or what? It happened on the court, but it didn't involve a basketball. Angel Reese, there was several shots of her taunting Caitlin Clark. And, you know, of course, social media came out and attacked very strongly Angel and I just wanted to come on here and give, you know, my take on it because obviously that's the point of this whole podcast with the whole taunting. I will admit it was a little bit extravagant. It was a little extra than what Caitlin Clark did in the past. It was in her face. It was several times. I do understand that, but there's still no reason to, you know, 
call people those certain names. We're not going to repeat on the pod because we try to stay family friendly. And, you know, Caitlin Clark was known as someone who is a little bit of a disrespectful player or someone who has an attitude, uh, you know, is mean and along those lines and, you know, not nearly as, you know, disregarded for doing the same things. And I really respect Clark for her interview afterwards, you know, being able to come out and say, yeah, I mean, I understood why she did it. She's, we're both competitors, you know, she did, she pretty much gave me my own medicine. And I think that, you know, game recognizes game. Of course, there had to be even more drama The with the first lady mentioning how she wanted to invite Iowa to the White House, which would be an honor. But even Clark herself said it's not for runners up. It, it was a little weird, you know, the wording around it, uh, you know, in terms of inviting them because of sportsmanship, something along those lines. They played a great game, even though they got blown out. Um, Biden's so, haven't you know, always been the best with wording. Exactly. It's it's just it's just it's just totally off. It, it it I think you know addressing the elephant in the room. It was pretty obvious. It was a pretty much an all white team playing an all black team. And you know when things like that happen on the biggest stage, stuff is bound to happen. You know there's there's going to have something happen along those lines, especially when you know the, the all black team totally won. So you know it might have made some people uncomfortable. And you know of course stuff was said. And, you know, I just think that I really respect Iowa and the coaches and players for the way they handled the loss. They could have definitely taken a different path on this. And, you know, I really respect Clark and her sports center interview coming out and mentioning, you know, the White House is for the winners. I do. You know, I understand why she did it. And, you know, gracefully taking the loss because it could have definitely gone a whole nother route. I think the most important thing you mentioned about this was, I mean, this is just, this is basketball. It's competition at the highest level. This is for the national championship. Emotions are going to be high, you know, adrenaline's running. This is, okay, it's the national championship, highest stakes you can get for these players. The most important thing you said was people are talking. Social media was talking because if we're being honest about this and if we're trying to push this stuff forward, you know, social media and people haven't been talking about women's college basketball. The focus hasn't been on the sport, but because of the Caitlin Clark run, because of her fantastic play this year for the University of Iowa, people took notice. People were watching her during the tournament, and we started to talk about South Carolina. Angel Reese is now propelled into the spotlight. I mean, Angel Reese has done that herself. She carried her team to the national title like she is a star, but... Eyes on the sport, regardless of how they get there, are good for the sport. And star power that Caitlin Clark has, we've talked about it. It's going to be huge. And like you said, the fact that she has to return to college basketball next year and the fact that now we know Caitlin Clark's there, we know Angel Reese as well. She's going to be back for another season of college basketball. I think the 2023-2024 women's college basketball season, I think it has a chance to replicate the 1978-1979 college basketball season for the men. And if that season sounds familiar to anybody, it's the famous Bird versus Magic Johnson season. That season obviously culminates in what is still the most watched national championship game, most watched basketball game. 
in history, just if you look at the rating, 24.1 rating, 35.1 million viewers. The only basketball games with more viewers were the 98 finals game six and the 93 finals game six. So it's top three basketball game of all time. What that season was for the sport, just in terms of pushing it forward and people looking at the sport, Bird and Magic as well, not just, you know, raising college basketball, but raising the entire industry. Those guys obviously raising the NBA when they got to the NBA. That season as well was sort of just indirectly influential in the formation of ESPN as a company. ESPN was formed in 1979. They were broadcasting March Madness games in, I think, as early as 1980, just the next season right after that. So, I mean, there were there were stars in the league, in the NBA, in college before the 78-79 season. I mean, Russell and Wilt were already there. Jerry West, the logo. There were stars. Oscar. Same, same with women's. Brianna Stewart's come through UConn. Maya Moore, Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, Candace Partner, Brittany Griner. Like, there have been legends. There have been stars prior to this season for women's college basketball. But the fact that Caitlin Clark is causing this much gravity to the sport, the fact that she's going to be returning along with Angel Reese, who is the reigning national champion, and then just somebody who's kind of been forgotten in this whole thing as well. Paige Beckers was hurt most of this season, and she'll be back healthy next year for UConn. They get Aaliyah Edwards returning, who elevated her role this year was pretty much their best player for most of their season. So Paige Beckers was like the next big thing in women's college basketball has really struggled with injuries, but all three of those girls will be playing next year. And all three of those girls will then be eligible for the 2024 WNBA draft. So eyes were on the sport at all time level this year, most viewership ever for a women's basketball game. But I think just most people were jumping in late. Most people were tuning in during the final four and the national championship. But I think next season, I'd start to finish the hype around it. I think it has to be like, I think it has a chance to be a real industry raising season for women's basketball. And I think the main reason we mentioned this a little bit in the last pod but, you know, like you mentioned, it's been backed up by the facts that college women's basketball is really on the rise over the last couple of years because, first of all, you know, there's been more eyes that have been watching. There's been better supporting of women's sports in major media as of late. But also, college basketball for women's they have to graduate before they can go to the WNBA. And, you know, nowadays, and you have to at least do four years in college to go to the pros while in men's it's still one and done you know you still have guys so the most talented players in men's are in and out they barely stay at their colleges not really building those rivalries and those big uh games as of old where you really get those you know keep the talent while for women's like we mentioned you know clark's been at iowa for a couple of years you know, like we mentioned with Paige, if, if she was a man, she would be gone. I mean, she'd probably be in the NBA right now, you know, if she was playing in the with men's or in NBA. So definitely a contrast now, as we can see the talent level quickly rising. 
for the women's college basketball are not necessarily just even the talent, not necessarily the talent, but the eyes that are looking at the talent and the way that the game is being played. You know, obviously the talent's been always there, but now, it, you know, the way it's being played is a little bit is more entertaining, you know, with the three point shooting. It's easier to market. And, you know, with a lot of these stars signing NIL deals, you know, it becoming easier to market them with social media, things along those lines. It's it's just becoming easier and easier to promote their games. And we've, we've seen the numbers where we mentioned highest viewership for women's. It was at 9.9, almost 10 million. And the men's was the worst it's ever been at 14 million. And, you know, sure, that's 4 million, which is a lot of people. But, you know, for TV numbers, that's still that's the closest the gap's ever been. And there's a chance they could switch out. You know, always an interesting thing with the March Madness is that everyone loves Cinderella's until they're the final teams. And then you have to watch, you know, what we had, which was San Diego State against UConn. You know, and like, you know, of course, everyone still wants the best or the blue blood. And while UConn may be a little bit of a blue blood, they've won now five championships since 1999. Mm-hmm. It's kind of tough to watch the games. I didn't even know what was happening to be 100 percent. I still haven't watched the highlights from the game. I'm not even going to lie. I'll keep it 100 percent. I didn't watch the yeah. game. You know, I, I didn't look it up. I wasn't interested at all. And I think many people were the same way. Just there's no lottery picks, no, you know, great players on either of those teams that you're really interested in. I think Brandon Miller, of course, on Alabama would be the number one guy in college who, you know, maybe evaluators, NBA guys were looking at. But, you know, outside of that, you know, maybe some Arkansas guards, there was not too much reason to watch this tournament for the men. And, you know, the women really took the cake this year, and there's a high chance they can take it again next year. And if all the talent and all the top stories are going to be on the women's side next year, you mentioned how close that gap was. The men's was 14.7 million this year, the women's 9.9. But if you look across platforms, women's was also on ESPN Plus. If you bring in the streaming numbers, the women's peaked at 12.2. So it's only a couple million away from catching the men, I think it has a real chance to pass the men next year and have higher viewership for their national championship game because I don't know what to look forward to. Like you said, I watch more of the Iowa LSU game than I did the men's national championship. Watch more of the women's final four in general compared to the men's final four as well. Cause like you said, Florida Atlantic, if, if the national championship game had been Florida Atlantic versus Miami, like what, what really is that? Like, can that actually happen in college basketball? Like some good team actually has to win the title. No disrespect to either of those teams, but the women's is going to be competing right there with the men's next year, because I don't really know what to look forward to for the men. I guess Bronny is sort of the next big thing coming for their side of college basketball. But outside of that, you know, I, there's no other players stories that at this point, are catching us now you know we could get closer there somebody was going to have to go number one next year's draft so we the talent's going to have to emerge but as of right now sitting next year we know who the the best players and the best teams and the stars of the women are going to be and just like always in men's college basketball from year to year we don't but it's even weaker now considering the loss of a lot of these head coaches that ran these powerful programs 
Coach K at Duke. Roy Williams has been gone for a couple of years. Jay Wright's now in the broadcasting booth over at CBS. You know, all these legendary guys are out, and there's really no other young coach waiting in the wings to take their place. Dan Hurley might be building something over in UConn, but other than that, it's just kind of iffy. So I think women's next year, more viewers than the men's. Maybe. I mean, hot take? Who knows? I Yeah, I think Bill Self is the only guy left now, honestly, as a recognizable coach in college basketball. And well, Izzo's still out yeah, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Izzo is still there. Yeah. Yeah. So, but times are getting tough with the, with the women. There's just more, it just feels more prestige. You still have the blue bloods. Like you, the good teams are still good, you know? And like you mentioned, Florida Atlantic was one point away, you know, two points away from being in the national championship. Like yeah. that can't happen. I, I'm sorry, but like that just can't happen. Like what are we doing? So, all right, moving on to uh the professional basketball. We're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, all NBA teams. We'll get into a little bit of awards, but you know, I was thinking of a little new segment here. There's a lot of jumping around, you know, a lot of moving pieces. What only two or three games left on the schedule for most teams? Yeah, for yeah, two or three games. Pretty so much. things are pretty much. I think things are pretty much set in terms of in the West. There's still a lot of moving pieces. East is a little bit more set. But uh, we have a little bit of either keep snoozing or hit the snooze button. Is it time to believe in some teams or is it time to give up to get a little warm up for the awards? What we're thinking, what, what, where we're standing on teams and the number one, which is obviously the easiest one, which was the main reason this whole segment was created for is the Dallas Mavericks. They've just been slipping, sliding, and I'm snoozing. What What about you, Rem? I think the Mavericks themselves are snoozing right now as well because they're not even in the playoff race. They're a solid game behind the OKC Thunder, and just visually watching it on a basketball court, they don't even look like they're playing as well as the OKC Thunder. They're a more cohesive team. Shea Gilgis Alexander is just you know more in his groove as a star right now then Doncic and Kyrie are Doncic's numbers are good, but obviously the wins haven't been there the last couple of weeks. I mean, and, and if you just look and compare them to the rest of the play in teams, Minnesota, the same, I, the Lakers are obviously emerging. Well, sure. We'll get into them as we get into all NBA. Maybe, maybe we'll hit snooze or not on the Lakers. Who knows? We'll see what comes up, but I, they're just nice. not even playing as well as a team like the thunder, a team like, the Timberwolves, which is just, you can't happen if Doncic and Kyrie are your two best players. It's just wild. It's wild to think, and I think the graphic has gone, you know, made the rounds on on social media and stuff, but when they first traded for Kyrie, they were at 96% chance to make the playoffs, and now they're at 11, or I think 10 or 11, somewhere there, and while they do have the Kings next, they also play the Bulls and Spurs. You know, the Bulls are actually playing well lately. So they have two out of three tough games, and they're on a current three-game losing streak. So it, it's not looking good right now. It's just wild to think that they traded most of their solid to good pieces to get, you know, what we consider an all-star, you know, when when playing well. You know, someone who can reach Hall of Fame levels when he's really on fire. But – 
it's just it's just not working. And I guess maybe their play styles are just clashing a little bit. You know, they're kind of redundant if you think about it in terms of, you know, both aren't great on the defensive end. Um, they're obviously not going to, you know, work as hard as on the offensive end. Both are kind of ball hogs. You know, they kind of need the ball in their hands to do their best work. And I just didn't think it would be this bad where they just pretty much fall apart here at the end of the season. And the worst part about it is the couple of bright spots on this roster are the young guys that the Mavs have drafted, the guys that the Mavs have actually went out and got as a team. Jaden Hardy has played well in recent weeks. Josh Green as well, too. Josh Green has been 40% from three this entire season. And he's been a two-way guard, a guard defensively that they can actually throw out there. A guy that you just defensively could probably hang in a playoff series and will contribute for him. And Jaden Hardy, I know he's raw playoff series-wise. He probably is not going to give him a lot this year if they were to end up making it in. But he can come out and give you 20 points, and he's a second-round guy. And to get that kind of value in the second round is obviously a hit. And it's just like, hey, if the Mavs have just been like, a normal team done some normal team building things and didn't make all these big panic moves because the Kyrie move is not the first panic move that they made. It's not the first attempt at getting it. Doncic a star that they've made. They went out and tried to get Porzingis, you know, Christian Wood. it's not bringing in a star, but they signed him in free agency. They've tried to do things to help Doncic in the past, but they haven't really just sat, sat back drafted tried to grow the team around Doncic and the couple of young pieces that they've actually gotten that with are the couple of bright spots on this roster. So now the first like, you know, four or five years of Doncic and if with the way the roster looks the next couple of years as well, because I don't know how they get out of this from a salary cap standpoint, draft capital standpoint, all that stuff. It's just, there's going to be this big what if spot in Luka Doncic's career. If the Mavs don't, I think, take a different direction with how they approach building their team. I don't know. It feels like the writing is on the wall for them to eventually lose Doncic at some point. Who knows? I mean, they've had the same recipe with or without Kyrie. Um, looking at the stats since they gotten, uh, since they had that trade, you know, they had the eighth best offense. But then on the defensive side, they are the... They're the sixth worst defense, you know, kind of middling rating. So, you know, not really changed much in terms of how the team is. You know, I mean, they've, they've always been kind of middling. I mean, kind of in the middle of the road also for their pace. It's just, it's just, there's not much that was changed with the team. I mean, they do have, again, Kyrie, they do have another weapon in there. And actually the interesting part is that there hasn't been much off the court issues with Kyrie, you know, not really some drama. Uh, going on it's just for once the drama is on the court which is weird uh, for him because it seems like there's always some other issue going on you know some something else uh with with some issues but uh it looks like they want to bring him back you know mark cuban saying that re-signing him is the mavs number one priority for this summer i mean it looks like they uh you know trying to run it back looks like shams is talking about I'm thinking about maybe shutting down Luca and Kyrie. So it looks like, like you mentioned, it looks like they're snoozing too. They're kind of punting on this year. They think, you know, maybe next year they can come back with some pieces. But 
has there been any sign, at least for you, Ram, that this can work? Because it hasn't to me. No, and the last couple of teams that have signed Kyrie to a long-term deal, I mean, he's not there. He's in Dallas right now looking for another long-term deal because those teams wouldn't give it to him. I wouldn't want Kyrie to be the second star that I pair with Luka. I also wouldn't want Kyrie to be just the second personality that I would pair with Luka. I think maybe Donjic needs somebody who is probably going to push him a little bit more. Maybe a guy who's just like a real in-the-gym guy, hard worker, strict diet. Just a guy that Donjic can look at and compare himself to in that way because I don't think Kyrie is keeping Doncic in check. Doncic, I mean, he's great. Like, we're going to get to All-NBA. Doncic, I'm sure, will come up 30 points a game this year. And the playoff stuff, too, as well. Historic playoff performances for a guy at his age. But maybe there is, maybe there's just a different type of personality he needs to play with. I'm not even talking about all the controversial personality stuff with Kyrie. I just, it's the not committing to defense. It's the questionable decision-making shot taking. Sometimes it's the decisions at the end of the games. Cause those are the kind of things to me when Doncic is at his best, when the Mavs are at their best, He's locked in on defense. Everybody around him's locked in. They're focused on team basketball. And I don't know if Kyrie necessarily brings those things. And I would want my second star to compliment Doncic in that way. One more stat for everyone listening at home. Fifth worst record now since February 6th of the trade for the Mavericks. Nine and 16. That's a a one and three, about one and three winning chance right there. So not not a great pairing, not at all what you want. And it's kind of sad for Dodgic because, you know, it's pretty much going from one season in the Western Conference Finals to not even in the playoffs or the play-in tournament. Now to the one of the more head-scratching cases of the last couple weeks, that'd be the Minnesota Timberwolves. Cat, finally, after being out, for about let me see here he wants to load um i think he not was only out, was pretty it... much out since the end of november last year yeah what where is it where you about to say something sorry I was, just, I was gonna say not only was he missing time but he was a candidate for will we ever see this guy with his current team ever again there was like a little sniff of not could they shut him down for the season? Could that lead to trade requests? I, I feel I feel like it was on the table at one point. Yeah. No, they really they were really talking about him being out. And then he comes back. They beat Atlanta, beat the Warriors. He sits out again, but they beat Sacramento. And we're like, all right, here we go. What's going on? And then they lose to the Suns, you know, a kind of you know, a better team for sure than them. Then they lose to the Lakers. It's a little worrying now. We're on a little streak. And then on, what day is this? I'm losing track of my days. On Sunday night, Portland Trailblazers pull off the largest NBA upset in 30 years by beating the Timberwolves as a 19.5. Yes, that is 19 and a half point underdogs. Trailblazers, pretty much, I mean, you know, some people calling them a glorified G League team. I mean, they just, 
when we this is the second year in a row we've seen this when they tank they they don't care bro like you know you, you may be walking on the street and get handed the jersey like they just don't they'll, they'll play anyone so they're missing four starters of course dame isn't there they have lost 11 of their 12 games and the trailblazers came back from a 12 point deficit in the second half to beat the Timberwolves, who were looking to maybe get to the fifth seed before this losing streak. And, Rem, they have a history of winning the games they shouldn't and losing the games they shouldn't. They've gone 5-10 and 10 against the worst teams. Uh, that's Portland, Charlotte, Detroit, San Antonio, and Houston. And, you know, three of those five wins are against Houston. So most of the time they're losing against these teams. So, Rem, where where are we at? I mean, are we in? Are we out? It's it, they're they're just a head scratcher. The thing that this team had going for it before Carl Towns came back was they were kind of a menace defensively. Jaden McDaniels is just having a great defensive year, and Anthony Edwards as well. Just on certain nights, on certain possessions, when he wants to lock in, he is can be like all MB all defensive level type defender on the perimeter. Those two guys, that defensive combination put Rudy Gobert in the back, who is, he's not Rudy Gobert from the past, but he is still, you know, plus defender in the interior. Those three guys, it was a really good defensive team. So interjecting Carl Towns into that, we'll see the defensive rating has still been good when he's, since he's gotten back, it's only been a couple of games, but the defensive rating still, at 111, I think it's six in the league over that stretch uh, since Carl Towns has gotten back. So we'll see maybe long-term if that number can maintain, but Towns is obviously not known for his defensive ability. So his scoring is welcomed, but I liked the, I like this team when it had a defensive identity and we'll just see if Carl Towns hopefully doesn't mess that up. He hit some shots, in a game the other night, I forget I forget who they were playing. Maybe it was the Warriors, but he hit some shots where you're like, oh yeah, Carl Towns on the perimeter, all-round offensive game. Like he is Carl Towns. I get it. But when it the team had an identity, they were peaking and they brought him back and they're four and three since they brought him back. So yeah, I probably looking at that Carl Towns situation, that alone would make me want to hit uh snooze on this team. Yeah, and uh, just to get some number rights, Towns have been out for 52 games, and then he came back hitting game-winning three throws to beat Atlanta, and then I think what you mentioned with the Warriors, he had a game-winning three to beat them, yeah. and you know now that he's joined, they've been actually ranked, I mean, it's been a small sample size, but since he's returned, the Timberwolves have ranked 27th in offensive offensive efficiency going downhill but then the defensive issues are still there they gave up Timberwolves in that one game gave up 21 points on 18 turnovers getting scored 25 to 15 and transition and allowed the trailblazers to score on their last five possessions shout out to the athletic for those stats so you know it's if he's not scoring you know, on fire, then he's just alive to lose, uh, you know, a main piece like Towns most of the season and then try to fit him back in. But my personal opinion since day one is that Towns has been a losing player. You know, he may be talented, 
but he just he he just doesn't. Whenever he plays, the Timberwolves tend to lose, and they, he has had records of losing. It's just not not a winning player. He's been there a couple of years, and I just don't want him getting in the way of Anthony Edwards' uh, ascension. As you know, and like you mentioned, and they have other quality players who can help him win. It's just it's not working with him, and maybe they should consider training him this this uh, off season. But we snoozing. And the hard part with trading him is going to be the contract. It's going to, the extension is going to kick in. It's going to be in the 50 some million dollars. The thing you're going to have to look at if you're a team. And I think this is probably just something we'll look at in the off season in general, but looking at the financial boom that the NBA is about to hit, there's about to be this big spike in salary cap in the salaries and the contracts that these guys are getting. The figures are going to go way up. Teams are going to have to start looking at some of these guys that are considered overpaid now and go, hey, you know, in two, three years when the boom comes, are these guys, these contracts going to look a little bit different? And then we get these guys with two, three years left on these deals where they're these really, you know, all-star level players. And the money that we thought was a lot of money may not be a lot of money at the end. But, I don't, you know, we'll see. Long term, maybe that's an off-season thing to get into. That will be something to discuss with Towns. Because Towns' contract, his salary cap figure is so high. But if you do look at some of the stats and you're doing like the basketball reference deep dive, his name pops up with some of the stuff with the scoring, the points per game, 40% from three. He's a seven-footer. You know, those numbers for a guy his size are just unparalleled. He's a very, very talented offensive player. There's definitely a place for him on some team. I just don't know if this team is the team for it because those guys, because Anthony Edwards, because Jaden McDaniels have emerged as such strong defenders, I think there's a real future there with this team pursuing a defensive identity building this team around a defensive mindset. And Anthony Edwards will evolve his offensive game. That'll continue to grow. He'll be an elite weapon there, but defensive. I think this team needs to think defensive mindedly long-term when trying to build this team. And again, I don't know if towns fits a team with a defensive identity. No, that's, that's true. I mean, I think that's just a fact, honestly. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of tough to see because obviously they, you know, when they brought in Rudy Gobert, I think they're bringing him to offset some of those issues, you know, as a defensive guy, mm-hmm. you know, them kind of balancing each other out. And it hasn't worked. It really hasn't worked. And, um, you know, it's it's tough to watch. But, but he's, I mean, this is just how it is with Carl Anthony Towns. It's been his career. And I don't think we should really be surprised by the last couple of results that have happened. So sad to see it. And it it's not, I don't think it's not like it couldn't have worked. I yeah. Cleveland does a similar thing. They have Mobley, they have Jared Allen, they play the two bigs and they are a defensive team. So maybe that's, you know, obviously the problem, but Towns again is an elite offensive guy. Gobert is, or at least was, you know, an elite defensive guy. So maybe the dynamic there can sort of balance out. I feel just like there's a world where two bigs with an offensive skill set and a defensive skill set could work, but they gave up too much for him. There's personality stuff here involved. Anthony Edwards is involved as well to his development. You know, they had to lose D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell's having a career year. 
He's having one of his best shooting years he's had in his career, but they had to move him from the roster for fit. Guys will have to be sacrificed. Moves will have to be made, and we'll just have to see if Towns will be one of those guys. We'll have to see. I mean, I hope he is because, you know, I just – he ain't going to work in Minnesota. Um, moving on, especially now that they have an actual cornerstone. Um, but moving on to a team, whether we're snoozing, not for the playoffs because they're pretty much in, but for the NBA championship, are they real contenders? I think you know where we're going. You know, we got to milk the moneymaker. We know – what pays the bills la lakers are back I, I i think i think it's pretty obvious to everyone and i think tonight is going to be one of the biggest games maybe of the season it's kind of sad paul george isn't there but definitely for the playoffs and to see where they're at the lakers are taking on the clippers tonight they're they are five and six in this no six and seven in the standings i think the Lakers, I mean, they could use all the rest they can get. Probably, I mean, I'll get into more stats after this, but pretty much the main one that matters, the Lakers have had the second most wins since LeBron's come back, 4-1. and one. They've been on fire. I'm kind of in as long – my number one rule is as long as AD and LeBron are healthy, then this team will win. And it's true. It's, it's held true so far. And with that matchup tonight, the Clippers and the Lakers have the same record. So if the Lakers win, we should say, I guess we should say, we're recording this Wednesday night. That that game is 9, 9.30 Central Time, something around there. It's the late yeah, game nine, Wednesday yeah. night. So he's 7.30 here in the Midwest. We're not quite there yet. But if the Lakers beat the Clippers tonight, the Lakers will have a better record they will move into the sixth seed, and the Lakers will actually be out of the play-in game. The Lakers were dead in the water at the beginning of the year. The Lakers were dead in the water, you know, going back two months ago, but they have a chance to move out of the play-in game if they win tonight. And if they move up to number six, they're also only a half game behind the Warriors, where, you know, who knows what happens. The Warriors lose their last couple of games. The Lakers continues his hot streak. There's a chance the Lakers can climb all the way to five with, again, a team that was before the trade dead deadline, a team that was out of the playoff race entirely. This team had no future. LeBron and AD were going to be gone in the offseason, and they have a chance to be in the four or five matchup going into round one, avoiding the playing game entirely. That is a very, very high likelihood because Looking at the last couple of games, guess who's on the road? And guess who still hasn't won 10 games on the road? Which is still a wild stat. It's still a wild stat, which is why I really push back on any serious championship hopes with the Warriors. Um, because they're still at nine wins uh, for the season on the road. And their next game is the Kings at home. And the, the Kings are on fire right now. They're really feeling it. After um, after pretty much making the playoffs, I mean, after obviously making the playoffs, but after, you know, they they reached their goals, but it they feel hungry. So they're they might get that win. They probably will get that win. And if the Lakers get over this hump, um, I mean, they got to deal with the Suns, but that's at home in the jazz. So they do. They also got a tough end of the season. But if they can handle business 
and the Warriors probably lose on the road because that's what they've done all year. And then they got the Trailblazers, too, who have been shown to be frisky. Um, you know, who knows what happens there again on the road. Yeah, that's a very likely, very high likelihood of going into that four or five matchup and get a rematch of last year, right? I think they played the Suns last year. So, you know, they get a chance. I think they – was that the – I'm pretty sure they played the Suns because that was a couple years ago oh that was two years ago yeah 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 that was two years ago because then yeah that was when um i think lebron was hurt one of them got went down ad got hurt. ad got hurt and then lebron was on his own that was the year the sun yeah yeah, your sons wins the final yeah 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 two years ago but yeah they get revenge for two years ago um where the suns pretty much got them and you know lebron and kd in the first round, I mean, you know, like like they love to say on first day, that's popcorn basketball right there. So, of course, we want to see it. We need to see it. And, you know, looking at the how AD has been doing the last couple of games, uh, pretty much, you know, looking at one game before LeBron came back, um, he's been averaging the last six games 31 seven and oh no sorry 31 pretty much 32 is 31 and a half 12 and three on you know 60 percent from the field almost 25 from fruit three and uh 70 from free throw but he's been dominant inside the paint uh pretty much you know being ad as we know he can be and something that has been an interesting development the last couple games you know We've seen him kind of fall down a couple times, you know, wince a little bit, but I, I think he's heard it. He's playing through the pain and, you know, it's, you know, I got to respect it. And he, as long as he can stay healthy, continue to play through it and, you know, continue to dominate with LeBron. I really don't think that they're, I think the sky's the limit for this team. Um, especially when looking at, you know, that the hierarchy right now is, is looking kind of shaky for the West. Looking at the playoff bracket as it stands, again, not this is going to come out Thursday, so the standings will change at that point. But looking at where they stand as of Wednesday, the Lakers would be in the 7-8 play-in game matchup right now against the Pelicans. So if they won the 7-8 play-in matchup against the Pelicans, they would play the two-seed. The two-seed is the Memphis Grizzlies. It would be a Lakers-Grizzlies first-round matchup. The winner of that matchup would play the winner of Kings Clippers. That's kind of a friendly side of the bracket. You don't have to play Jokic. You don't have to play Durant. You don't have to play Curry. Do the Lakers want to lose tonight? Stay in the seventh seed? I don't know. Should there is there going to be some seeding shenanigans going on Look, looking at the playoff bracket? Well, Rem, it is kind of funny that you mentioned that. Because get IT to pull it up for you. One of the tweets I think mentioned looking at the news, I think they said that LeBron and AD are a game time decision tonight. Um, yeah, AD is question as questionable for tonight's game. So you know, who knows? Maybe one of them sits, two of them sit, and they, they might be. I mean, they can do math too. They can pull up a bracket too and do two plus two. So. You know, maybe they throw this game. We we have seen crazier, and 
you know, I, I wouldn't put it past them. You know, it doesn't hurt to give those guys a rest because they get they're injury prone. I mean, LeBron is has been injury prone this year and the last couple of years, and so has AD. So you can easily kind of hide it, and who knows? It, it that might be a legit, legit reason. So I think both of us we're not snoozing. We're wide awake. I, I'm kind of you know ready to see this Lake Show if they can keep it together because you know and it's it's not. It's not looking too great right now for the rest of the teams in the West. They're looking a little shaky. Um, moving on to the next team on the list here. I don't think I have too many, so I think we might check over in the East. I think that covers most of the teams. Um, was there one you wanted to talk about, I guess, or mention? I think I think we're pretty set on most of the teams in both conferences. I think those are the main ones. Um is it time? It might be time. It might be time. It is that time of year, which is an interesting development in the CBA that uh, all, all, anyone mm-hmm. can be in the all NBA teams. You know, there's some people quite heated at that. <laughs> Bill Simmons. <laughs> but I think it's, you know, for the better in the end. Maybe they could have done an all-star thing, front court, back court. I would have understood. But, you know, with the way the game's going, who knows? There might be a year where five guards are the best players. So, you know, bigs just need to get good. All right. Um, do you want to start from the bottom up or top to bottom? I think I think top to bottom works best. But what what do you think? I think top to bottom. All right. All right. Who do you have? You're a top. Should we go one by one? Who are you, who are your guards? Let's do guards, front court, back court. Let's go front court, back court. Guards first. Okay. So for the guards, do you have any locks? Is there anybody in your mind that is a lock? For first team all NBA guards, because we're not starting with the front court, but mm-hmm. I, I just looking at looking at the front court, there's a couple names. Yeah, I think they're all you could say for me. locks, but back court wise, are there any locks to you for all NBA? No, not not a single one. Not a single one. So the floor is open for me to pick pretty much anybody I want is what you're telling me, mm-hmm. and if that's the case. I have to go with the best guard in the league. To me, it's pretty simple. He's the best guard in the league. That is Steph Curry. I don't really care that Steph has played 54 games, but again, best guard in the league. It has to be recognized. He has to be first team all NBA. He's 29, six and six this year, 49.1 field goal percent, 42% from three, 91 percent from free throw 15 of the 17 guards in nba history that have had 29 six and six for seasons have made first team all nba the only two that haven't were 15 16 james harden and richie gurin in 1960 1962 29 six and six that year for richie gurin it's like this big outlier year on his basketball reference page great player hall of fame guy i think but it was like a all NBA 15, 16 for Harden. Oh, okay. All right. Let's look at that. I think he got beat out by Kyle Lowry that year for third team, all in for third team, all NBA, but 15 of the 17, 29, six and six guards in NBA history have made first team. Steph add him to that list. He's the best guard in the league. And to me, he's a lock for first team, all NBA. Yeah, that's still wild. Um, you said, oh, so you didn't make all first team or, or not even an all NBA team. Yeah, you're right. 
Sheesh, I think they only had two back then. Clay Thompson. Tough. Tough. Oh, no, for Harden, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's tough, I guess. Um, but yeah, just like that year in 2016, um, this year too, I got Curry number in uh all NBA, uh the first guard. Uh did you mention your second guard? Oh no, you didn't. You didn't who's who's your second no. guard? Oh yeah, my first guard's Curry. I think it's pretty obvious, like you mentioned. And you know, it's kind of crazy that in a couple of years he wouldn't make it here at all. Um, just because he hasn't played enough games, but you know, I I, I kind of understand it because it's tied to money. You know, I, I kind of get I think that's something people are discounting is that all NBA is tied to contracts mm-hmm. that owners are paying mm-hmm. for. So owners want their money's worth. So, you know, it's it's you got kind of gotta remember that you know, owners are trying to make money here. So but yeah, I got Curry and my second choice, a little unconventional, but I think he's been playing great the whole year. And he's actually in the playoffs. I'm going Shea, Gilgis, Alexander. The playoffs matters oh. for me. And he's he's in there. He's cooking right now. He's carrying this team. I mean, look at this team. Like, like, like let's, let's actually look at the OKC Thunder roster. Like, for real. Because they have no business being, you know, competing in the playoffs. And they got just got beat out, of course, by the Warriors. You know, just as I make this point. But, you know, you mostly look at this roster. Like, Lou Dort is a solid player. You know, Jalen Williams, we mentioned, you know, was someone who, you know, like you mentioned, keep an eye on, you know, Isaiah Joe. But beyond that, like, there's there's not that many quality players on this team. And this team is really competing. They're, they're supposed to be tanking. You know, they're above teams like the Jazz, like the Mavs, like the Trailblazers, who I, I think we most consider have, you know, if you put in 2K, would have more talent generally. But... And throughout this whole season, Shea has single-handedly carried this team, and people know who he is. You know, obviously teams are watching film, and he's still scoring. So uh, he's averaging 31-4-5 and 51% from the field, and that's on the season, 90% from free throw, 53% effective field goal rate. I'm not – I mean, this is not a sample size the whole season again, folks. So – I think Shea totally deserves to be all NBA and him making the him making the playoffs or in the play in is just the cherry on top of the cake or ice cream, I guess. Like you said, we both have Jalen Williams stock. I think Jalen Williams is like a real building block piece going forward for this team. Giddy's a great young player, too, but the roster that's around Shea right now is not the foundation of the team going forward. It's not the other stars that he's going to be playing with. This team doesn't really have any of their young players that they should have drafted the last couple of years. In 2019, they traded their first round pick, Brandon Clark. They traded him to Memphis. In 2020, they traded their first round pick. It was Emmanuel Quickly. They traded him to the Knicks. In 2021, they had the 16th pick. It was Sengun. They traded him to Houston. And this past draft, 2022, they take Chet number two. Chet hurts himself. Drew League, I think that was against LeBron, wasn't it? He like tears his knee or rolls his ankle or something out for the year. He's on IR. He doesn't even get a chance to play this year next to Shea Gildas Alexander. And then they have all these future picks that they haven't even cashed in on yet. They haven't drafted them. They haven't used them to trade for another piece for Shea. So the, the young guys that are on this team are over excelling. 
They are playing really well. Like this is a well-coached team. Everybody's playing hard. They're getting great performances out of their players, but it's not the foundation of this team that Shea's going to be playing with and competing with in the next couple of years. And like you said, 30 points a game, the efficiency has been there. The one guy that I had that I think you could make a case for, for the other first team All-NBA guard spot, I think we have to consider Devin Booker. Mm. I think Booker this year, 28 points a game on the season. But if you look at him before, if you look at the 15 games he played before he got hurt, he was 29 points a game, six assists, 47% from field from the field. And the last 22 games he's played since he's came back from that injury, he's 29 points a game, five and a half assists, 52% from the field. So he's basically been a 29, five and five guy all year, 50% from the field. And when he's out there, the Suns have a 63% win percentage. That's 50 plus wins for the season. If Booker's your best guy, you're in the playoffs, 50 wins. And they depleted the roster around him to go out and get Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant's going to play like 10 games this year for him. He's not going to really contribute in the regular season. And Booker's still out there carrying this team, still in that 60-plus win percentage range. Again, 29-5-5 for a majority of the season. And Durant is, again, it's going to kind of hijack some of this storyline stuff from Booker because Durant's coming in. He's the star player. He's obviously the best guy, but it's just going to get lost that Booker was the best player on this team that went to the finals. Booker was the best player on the team last year that won 60 plus games. And Booker was the best player on this team this year that before Kevin Durant got there was still a contending team. This team was still in the mix at the top of the Western conference and Durant. Definitely. You want him. He's going to put you over the top when you're competing for a title, but don't forget that Booker can still as your best player booker can still keep your team in that title contending race so on my first team all nba it was really close the numbers for shea are kind of historic but i think the pedigree that booker has he's established again he has a little bit of playoff pedigree i think that's important when looking at all nba it is for this season but in close scenarios and tiebreaker situations, I think you have to pay respect to a guy's body of work. And Booker just has a body of work at this point. It's a couple seasons long. And even this year alone, you know, his numbers are right up there against Shea. Again, it's not 30 points a game, but 29.5. Like, yeah, he's in that range. He's putting up basically the same numbers, and his team is 50 plus wins. So, Booker was my second team guard spot. Am I crazy? Is there a case for Booker? I, I guess, one, I'm not going to lie. I did forget a little bit about Booker. I, I was trying to really not forget anyone, but he did kind of slip my mind. And I kind of forgot because not many people are mentioning him. And I think that's a really good point you brought up with him. I guess there were – I guess it was more eye test kind of thing along those lines of when he was playing it seemed like the team was just on and off you know kind of average this is a reason why they went out and got katie you know because they felt like they didn't have enough with booker then again you know they their expectation of winning is a lot higher than okc's obviously so that obviously has a lot to do with it 
And, you know, again, with Booker, you know, he's he's playing well. Again, like you mentioned, all the stats. Uh, he's But now it's, it's kind of harder to give him a lot of credit for it because he's playing with Kevin Durant. Even beforehand, his teams were playing well. And for me, it's not as clear-cut as with Shea, as in, like, you know, Holgren was out at the beginning of the season, and this season was kind of supposed to be a bust. And his efficiency, while production at the same time, was just on another level. In the last month, he's averaged, you know, 33.8, 4, and 5 on, yes, it is 53% from the free field on 20 attempts, which is wild, by the way. 41% 41% from three and 91% from free throw. So yes, 50, 40, 90, well, I guess 53, 41, and 91. So ultra efficient uh, going into the playoffs. And, you know, it's it's that trade-off of the really, you know, high production guy on an average team or, you know, the really, really solid guy, you know, above solid guy on one of the better teams. And, I guess with the early, you know, the early season dip for the Suns was surprising. It just seemed like they were going to be bad this year and they've kind of recovered, you know, still in fourth in the West. So if if they were in the top three and felt like a legit, you know, top three without Katie, you know, maybe we could put them higher. But, you know, that's why I moved him down to second team. But, you know, we'll, we'll get into that a little later. I don't know if there. I don't think there's much discussion for our forwards of Tatum and Giannis. Real quick on Shea. Yep. One more thing on on Shea. The case for Shea for first team is really strong. Like earlier in the season, thirty points a game. The Thunder, like you said, they're a tanking team. It's sort of is this going to be a good stats bad? Is this going to be like a good team? Good stats bad team season? Is this going to be Beal in nineteen? 30 points a game, third team all NBA type, but they're in the play in game in the playoff mix. So I think, you know, he has a strong case to be first team all NBA. And the numbers, 30 points a game, 50 plus percent from the field. The only guards to do that in NBA history are Michael Jordan. He did it five times. George Gervin, he did it twice. And Steph in the 2015. 16th season when he was the unanimous MVP of the league. So the numbers carrying his team, all that stuff is there for the first team all NBA case. But when we get to the forwards and when we look at the first team as a whole, it's who are the best guys in the league at this position who are the top forwards in the league, but you know, who are the top two guards in the league? Who are the two very best? And Shea may have had, a slightly better season than Booker by like a little tiny bit. But I think the pedigree that Booker has and the numbers just being basically on par with Shea's numbers and his team still being higher in the standings, despite Durant not being there for most of the season. I think all that stuff, if we're going, who are the top two guards in the league? I think Steph and Booker check all the boxes, pedigree, the stats. I just think Shea... It's his first season bursting onto the scene like this. The last two years, he's had 2,200 points total, both seasons combined. This season, he has 2,113 points 
and he's going to have a shot in the next two games to push over 2,200. It's going to take a lot, but he's got a shot to do it. And, you know, he's been unleashed. He's burst onto the scene, but it's his first season doing it. I think we have to pay respect to Booker as a top dog in the league. And I think him and Curry as the two best guards in the league, I think that makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, I based it just off the season, you know, because it's the uh, regular season award. And, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you know, pedigree is always given with these, and we'll get into that later. You know, there may be some guys sneaking in because of pedigree. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's, like, you know, interesting with, with Booker, and we'll have to see he'll, he'll play out in the playoffs. It's definitely interesting to see his Shays rise, and I really hope it continues beyond this year, so. But yeah, I think it's a pretty much a lock we have for Tatum and Giannis. I don't, I don't know if you have too much discussion with that, but yeah, I think those are obviously the two best forwards in the league. Hold um, on, I, did I, it just sent us some numbers? Oh, oh, yeah. I guess, I guess this season, Shea has averaged thirty nine and a half, four and a half, and four rebounds, four and a half assists, and four rebounds against Devin Booker. So you know. And it's head to head. Let's see what Booker. Many games. Has. Uh, two games. They played two games. I knew. I knew. It. I knew. It liked you better. Shout out to it for that. Yep. Shout out. Let's see. Booker oh. averaged thirty-four, five, and four. So. Yeah. Ooh. Hey, it's close. Five points. I don't know. That's a little. <laughs> Anywho, uh, moving on. Uh, I think for our forwards, we have the number one option for what was the team that was mostly the number one in the East and pretty much the guy who is the king of all NBA. We're talking about Tatum, Jason Tatum and Giannis. Um, you know, Tatum took it to him recently. Um, I don't know if that game really changes much. I mean, it's not nothing. It's not. I mean, it's not completely world changing, but, you know. I guess, is there really anyone threatening these guys to positions at the top of the pole here or top of the hill? So, yeah, I have I have Giannis, I have Tatum, and then I have Embiid. We did the, the MVP conversation last week. We talked yeah. about you took Jokic, so I'm guessing yeah. Jokic is your first team center, but yeah. it's tough to say it. I guess I'll be the guy. I have Embiid, the, only, the guy who's only averaging – 33 and a half mm-hmm. points a game this year leading the league got to you. again my mvp of the league yeah. he will be my first team all nba center maury and his stats got to you i guess we'll <laughs> see yeah. all those rick stats yeah obviously i had Jokic, you know and then i had ad as second team no i'm kidding but yeah we probably haven't beat or the vice versa second team all nba and um you know, I, I have been in support of the idea of giving, if you don't have one player, be the MVP, then at least have them be All-NBA. I do uh, give that All-NBA first spot. Um, So, you know, I, I wouldn't be mad if one got one and the other got the other. You know, obviously MVP matters more, but I kind of understand the switching of the two. But, yeah, we pretty much have those two as the top two, and we've already argued about them. For Giannis, this is going to be now – Five consecutive first-team All-NBAs. A half decade of dominance for Giannis. He's 31, 12, five and a half assists this year. 55% from the field. Six triple-doubles. It's a career high for Giannis. 
if you just look at the guys that have made first team all NBA five years in a row, it's only nine guys. Hoosie, West, and Oscar Robertson did it in the 90s. Magic and Bird did it in the 80s. Malone and Jordan in the 90s. I think I said the 90s for Koozie. The 60s for Koozie, West, and Oscar. The 90s for Malone and MJ. And then LeBron and Kobe did it in the 2000s. If you look at guys that also have five first-team All-NBA appearances for a career and a Finals MVP, it's only 13 guys. LeBron, Kobe, Duncan, Kareem, West, Magic, and Bird. Wilt, KD, Hakeem, Rick Barry, Giannis could be the 14th this year. We both have Steph first team. That would make Steph the 15th guy to accomplish that as well. Giannis now, he's top 20 all time by age 29. He'll be 29 December next year. And the resume now, the half decade of dominance, multiple MVPs, won the finals a couple years back, 30 points a game now this year. I don't know what the order would be at this point, but I don't know if there's 20 guys in NBA history that I would put above Giannis at this point. Yeah, he's starting to really creep into that. You mentioned top 20, you know, it's starting to, he's starting to put together some real years of greatness here where he's just not injured and he keeps just being dominant. And I think we do obviously take it for granted just how great he is. You know, he's kind of been, continuing to you know put up these wild stats and you know it kind of reminds me of a certain someone you know in a different sport you know a little bit of pat mahomes here where you know everyone kind of just knows he's the best player right now and you know that he can just do wild things on the court or gridiron and we kind of just take it for granted now when we see something wild um, you know, like the chase down block against the Wizards. And like you mentioned, you know, he's his resume, it's it's starting to get stuffed here. I'm not doing it on both ends of the floor. Um, he'll probably be all defensive first team again. Uh, you know, really challenging for that defensive player of the year, which we might mention. We might talk about those, you know, other awards. But yeah, I mean, again, another year of him being the best player, unquestionably, you know, unquestioned. Number one guy, I don't think anyone in the right mind would take someone else. And, you know, it's just uh, something that we can't take for granted. And uh, that's why he's an easy lock for NBA first team. Again, <laughs> fifth time in a row. And guys kind of like him post-29. If you look at Kareem and his career post-29, again, Giannis will be 29 in December. So after the start of next year, but Hakeem, post-29, six All-Stars, two Finals. Harold Malone, nine All-Stars, two Finals appearances. Tim Duncan, eight All-Stars, two championships. So Giannis, he's just getting started, obviously. The dominance will continue. I think we expect that this year in the playoffs as well. The Bucks, I think, again, top team in the East to both of us. To recap the All-NBA first team real quick. So I have Embiid, Giannis, Tatum, Curry, Booker. You have Jokic, Giannis, Tatum, Curry, Shea? Yeah. Yep. That would be the first team. Yep. And um, I guess I'll start for the second team. Um, Putting at, uh, I guess, starting off with 
the obvious. I do have Devin Booker on my second team. Uh, I just felt like I th- I th- I kind of felt like he took a little bit of a step back from last year. I guess Chris Paul obviously was a big, you know, him taking a step back really hurt the team. And, you know, like you mentioned, Booker's still been a productive player. He's still been, you know, one of the best guards, obviously, one of the best four guards in the league. And, um, you know, he, he continues to be himself, same attitude, you know, tough, tough as nuts kind of guy who, you know, I, you know, I definitely loved watching, especially I've been a Suns guy before. That's been a team of the year for me. So, you know, no hate for a Booker from this side, you know, maybe he talks a little bit too much to the wrong guys, you know. In fact, maybe he talks a little too much to one specific player, my other guard for the All-NBA second team. And I think this is as far as Luka Doncic can fall. I think he's had another productive season. Yes, he's knocked out of the playoffs, and these last couple of games have been rough. But, you know, I still think that when he's right, when he's when he's on fire and, you know, he still can be a top five player. He can reach top five player status in the league. Each year he's continued to produce more and more on the court this year, averaging 32, 8 and 8, 50, yeah, 49, 49% from the field almost 50 which is four percentage he was 45 last year so that's a significant jump 34 percent from three uh 74 from free throw so he can work on that but he's continuing to improve each and every year this year he's taking a significant jump yeah i think i think you kind of have to put luca here so if you look at bradley beal's stats in 2020 2021 when he made third team all NBA. The Wizards snuck into that playoffs this year. I don't even think they won 40 games. It was 31 points a game, 48% from three, 48% from the field, 35% from three, and 89% from the free throw line. He didn't have the assists, rebounds that Doncic has. You know, there's a usage thing, there's a usage thing with him. Obviously, Doncic is a better player than Beal. He's a better playmaker, all that stuff. But the Mavs are out of the playoffs right now, and Doncic is kind of responsible for that. I mean, if he's going to be taking the load offensively and have as much responsibility from a usage standpoint as he does on this team, he has to be accountable for their record the last 18 games. They're 5-13. and 13. He's 31 points a game eight rebounds seven assists in that stretch but 48 percent from the field 32 percent from three and he was 11 free throw attempts a game through the first 46 games a year he's down to nine free throw attempts since february the production's down a little bit the confidence the swagger the vibe of this team is all down i get Kyrie is a part of that that trade changing again the culture of the team, defensive mind, all that stuff is in play here. Doncic is not entirely responsible. And still from a talent standpoint, I think Doncic is top four, top two, top three, whatever guard in the league. He's right up there. But the record thing, I mean, do you have to take it into account a little bit? Because the one guy that I want to throw out there as the other candidate for the second team spot would be Donovan Mitchell is... 28, 4, and 4 on the year, 48% from the field, 
38% from three, 86% from the free throw line. And the Cavs are a 50-win team this year in the Eastern Conference. They are closer in the standings to the Sixers than they are to the Knicks. And I think in people's minds, people have them in that tier below the top-tier teams. But defensively, this is the best team in the league by a wide margin. And Mitchell has been the offensive punch that they've needed. He's 28 points a game. The efficiency's been there on the season. And, you know, it's not the all-time numbers, 48%, 38%, 86%, but it's been good for Mitchell. The scoring's been there. And the last four games especially, he's coming off of four straight 40-point performances. The only players to have done that since 1980 are MJ, Iverson, Toby, Westbrook, and Harden. So put Mitchell in a category with those guys. It's not quite Doncic's stuff, but putting the season into perspective, the Cavs 50 wins, the Mavs slide. Does Mitchell have a case to get into second team? Is there a, is there a chance he can hit that high? I mean, I, I, I definitely, he was probably the one guy that I was thinking about, you know, for knocking him just because of that whole, with 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 him coming this year, really pushing him to to be good, and um, with Donovan Mitchell coming in as the number one option, pretty much you know still continuing to grow, he's still I just I just think Luca is a whole nother level, and like you mentioned earlier, you do mention pedigree as well, and if Luca doesn't make the playoffs, he will be the fifth highest scorer ever to not make the playoffs at 32.9 if it stays the same. So, you know, he still had a really productive season and I think he just got screwed over by having Kyrie on his team, you know, they're 4 and 11 when they're playing together and I think, you know, obviously he does take some slack for that, but I think the majority of the season shows without Kyrie, he was just fine, you know, and he did push for the trade. Now that is on him. He did, mm. you know, off the court, it is it is his fault that Kyrie is there, but from his on-play production, you know me, I take as much whoever has been playing for the best time as long as possible. That's who we go with. And yes, Mitchell had that 71-point game, but without without Mitchell, the Cavs are 6-6, six and six, which is average. And when you look at their team, you know, they're, they got pieces that are, you know, not necessarily as obviously not a superstar, but... Uh, still solid pieces without uh, Mitchell and trying to get it to work here uh, <laughs> without, uh, without Luka Doncic this season, the Mavs are five and 10. So I think, hmm. you know, that, that, you know, the, the Cavs 500 without Mitchell, you know, and, and pretty much, you know, significant drop for the Mavs without, without Doncic and those wins, you know, they're, they're against like Sacramento um, they actually lost to Cleveland for one of those uh, losses. But, yeah, I mean, so pretty much, long story short, Doncic is dealing with a much worse team, pretty bad situation, which he did put himself in, you know, and I don't know if you count that with the All-NBA, but just like you mentioned, the talent he has, we've seen that talent on display, and it's just he can go to a level that Mitchell cannot, and Mitchell has shown he can show flashes of that, but Doncic has just consistently just been better. And 
you know, I, I, I don't think this is an MVP award. I, I think it's an NBA. So I'm just going off of individual performance. And that's why I got to go with Doncic, And maybe even MVP would be better, but who knows? It's close. Do I change it or does Mitchell have enough of a case? Am I am I insane if I keep Mitchell in the second team spot? The Luka thing, it's tough. I don't want to get into punishing the wins too much, but 50 wins is impressive. There's only a handful of teams in a season that win 50 games. It usually means you're going to be a contending team. And the guys that lead the league in 40-point games this year, Doncic has 14. Mitchell's right behind him with 13. So he can go to the level from a scoring standpoint that Doncic can, the playmaking stuff that Doncic does. Again, Doncic is a superior player. And maybe at the end of the day, that's the most important thing for the All-NBA teams. But Mitchell has led the Cavs to a better season than Doncic has led the Cavs to the Mavs, has led the Mavs to this season. And I think that has to mean something. I think Mitchell, there's a history with him in Utah. And I think that Utah situation was shaky. I don't know if the supporting cast around him, Gobert as a number two, Mike Conley as a number three. That's just not as good as he's got it in Cleveland. Darius Garland's a better player. Mobley has more upside. Allen is a stud defensively. The supporting cast around Mitchell is better. I don't think Mitchell could elevate the, you know, he's not going to elevate the floor of your team the way Doncic will, but he will raise the ceiling. He's raised the ceiling of this Cavs team. And I think the Cavs are, a sneaky, sneaky, sneaky title contender. You know, whoa, against, the, whoa, whoa. against the Bucks in a playoff series, I don't think they would beat the Bucks, but I think they're closer to that tier of team than they are to the tier below. I think they're closer to the Sixers and Celtics and Bucks than they are to the Knicks, to the Heat, to the teams that are in the tier two in the Eastern Conference. And Mitchell offensively, is largely responsible for bringing that team to this level. So it's a close call. I thought about it for a while. And when I wrote this down originally, I just had to pay tribute to Mitchell getting the Cavs to that 50 win season and a franchise too, that just a dark history outside of the LeBron years. This is really the first season that they have built something without LeBron, built something sort of on their own in a way there in Cleveland since, you know, 2003. So Mitchell, largely responsible for that. And I felt like I needed to pay. I felt like he needed respect for his season. Put him on second team All-NBA. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely played well this season. And, you know, that's why I'll I'll have him, you know, competing for third team, you know. I, I don't know. There's some guys where, you know, some other options we're looking at. But like you mentioned with Booker and Shea, you know, the pedigree matters. And, you know, mm. if, if this season, you know, if it was such a big drop, if he was bad this year, I don't understand. But this is the, the enormous leap he has taken. And considering most of the season outside of these last 24 games, he was like squarely in the playoffs and he still has a chance to compete for the playoffs. I, I, you know, that's why I kind of have him above just because he's not that far out. We're not talking about like a 13 seed that's five games back. I mean, he is only one game or two games back from being in the plan. So the Cavs have been far and away the better team. But I mean, if Doncic is on the Cavs, I mean, are they a number one seed? You know, they, they're significantly better. 
it's just that, you know, Mitchell has had a better season, but I think the gap between them two is just so much bigger than it is between like Booker and Shea, just because, you know, Shea has been solid. It's just, he hasn't had a good team to play on. And, you know, you get Booker or Doncic, a half decent team, and he's in the West Western conference finals. So I think, I think it's a closer, it's a, it's a pretty wide gap between the two, but you know, we can agree to disagree. Uh-huh. Okay, no, I'll, I'll I'll flip it. I'm going to flip it. Oh, I'm oh. going to put Luca there. It was close. It was the 50-win thing that was the real decider. But like you said, Doncic could still technically make the playoffs. So, you know, I shouldn't discredit him for not making the playoffs when he Back. could still rewrite that. He's a top guy. So it, it was a close call. It was, again, more paying respect to the success of the Cavs. But... I'll go ahead and switch it. So my backcourt, SGA, obviously, now Luca, Shea Gilgis, and Luca, second team backcourt. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. For the forwards, it's a little, little interesting here. We get in a little spotty place. I think Jimmy Butler has to be a lock here. We already discussed the centers. Um, but I personally have Jimmy Butler as a lock. And then the iffy one, I <laughs> I I think we're gonna have a little bit, a lot of pedigree picks here coming up mm-hmm. for forward spots. Um, and here I got Kawhi Leonard. Um, I I just you know he's since he's come back from his injury, you know he's just been really solid. It's looked like pretty much the same old Kawhi here. Let me let me get the stats since he since he's returned. Let's see here. Um, we can do pretty much. Uh, in the last about month ish since since the end of um since the end of February he has been averaging you know twenty seven six and three you know solid he's been an efficient shooter you know fifty four forty nine and ninety almost eighty eight percent and it, you know I, I it just feels like you know he's playing games again he's back in the mix they're a solid team they have a solid team around him. And it's Kawhi Leonard, you know, what are we talking about? I mean, there, I think there's definitely other players you can definitely throw in there. And I, I may be completely wrong, but, you know, it, it's kind of now who's played the most games out of him and KD and LeBron, you know, kind of showing my cards right now. So I, I, I got him. I got him at second team. So the guy that I had for a lock at second team forward, and like I said, the games played thing, for these guys, if you just look at these guys individually and look at all their games played, Kawhi's at 40 games, 40, you know, nine games played. Right, LeBron's yeah. barely played 50 games. Durant hasn't played 50 games. All of these guys are missing time. So when you look at that and go, oh, Durant, 46 games, Kawhi, 46 games. But all these guys have played the same amount of time. So it's kind of an even playing field here when you're looking at the selections and to me, the forward that has been by far and away the best forward in the league, if he had stayed healthy and had played more games, would, for me, be on first-team All-NBA with the season that he was having. But he's missed too much time, but not enough to where I can't move him down from second team. That is Kevin Durant from Brooklyn to Phoenix. 29 points a game, six and a half rebounds, five assists, 56% from the field, 39.5% from three, 92% from the free throw line. He's 87 for 
222 this year from the three-point line. If he was 88 out of 222, he would be a 56, 40, 92 player this year with 29, 6, 5 scoring rebounds, assists. That kind of efficiency has really only been done in NBA history by guys like Kareem, Giannis, Shaq, Carl Malone. These big, get-to-the-rim, physical, dominant, overwhelming type players. And Durant is that, yes, but obviously it's because of the length, the size, the shooting ability. And to be this efficient and to do it with a jump shot, do it just with the type of offensive game and the shot package that he has, to me, it's been incredible, and it's bared out as well this year because Durant has the second-highest winning percentage for a star player this year at 71.7%. Giannis is first at 74%, but Durant at 71%, Jokic at 70%, and Tatum at 69 and Embiid at 66 So he's missed too much time to go any higher than second team, but... The 46 games that Durant has put together, they've been kind of some of the most efficient, high-level scoring, most impactful games that we've seen from a forward in the regular season. It just was unfortunately cut short due to injury, but Durant's been awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's with, with I guess the main difference for with Durant and Ka- Kawhi is when Kawhi's on the court, you know, the Clippers are just a different beast. You know, they have the best offense, NBA's best offense as of earlier this uh, earlier February, I guess, um, March, February with him on the court. You know, they have the best offense and, you know, fourth best defense. And we could look up and, uh, you know, pretty much helpless stats. But, you know, with when he's playing, they're just on a different level with the Clippers and with KD, you know, it's <laughs> I mean, now he's with the Suns, I guess. So. With him there, they they're the number one team, obviously, in 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 to win the title. I guess, yeah, I guess he is. I guess he is the uh, would make KD Kevin Durant would be in the second team. Um, you know, did we take being a snake in account? You know, <laughs> I don't know. It feels like he's just jumping teams all the time. This time it wasn't his fault, so you know we're not we're not gonna knock him for it. Yeah. But he's just been out for so long consistently. But all three of the guys have been so. It's honestly a coin flip for any of those three guys. I guess I guess Durant could definitely be in the second team. We'll see if he can finish out the season. He'll chances are will go on to win a title. And um it's kind of sad that Durant doesn't or Leonard doesn't have his other player. Um it just felt like on both sides of the court, you know, Leonard, he's been upping in his defense. It's not obviously the claw top level version, but you know, he's definitely been trying. You can definitely see it's definitely improving. He's he's getting healthy for once. He's actually getting time together. So it's definitely, maybe it's a little bit of storyline against KD with him against sabotaging another team. You know, who knows? That's why we had Leonard there, but I, I totally understand if someone wants to put Durant there as well. It's, it's definitely, it's a lot close. There's no mile long gap here. And you went Kawhi over LeBron. Could that change? If the Lakers win tonight, if the Lakers move up in the standings, are you set on Kawhi over LeBron as well? No, I'm not. I'm not set. I mean, these are all really close. I think KD, Kawhi, and LeBron are just, it's really close because they're all, you know, I mean, I think KD obviously can bring more production to the table. Um, and LeBron is just, you know, LeBron. 
But, you know, Kawhi has been playing, you know, I, I mean, I guess LeBron has played the most games out of the three. But Kawhi has just had more consistent play from what we've seen. He has the better team around him. I don't, I think, I, I mean, not over uh, over uh, KD, but over LeBron. I, I don't know. It's it's really close. They're all three really close. I'm rambling here. It's 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 tough. I don't I don't know how to decide it. We'll put it as a you know old veteran spot there. Well, it, to make the case for LeBron, because I have Durant and LeBron as my two second team All NBA oh, players. Okay. Again, if you looked at the games played with these guys, Durant right now at forty six, LeBron I think at fifty one. That'll go up a little bit, but not much. There's only two or three games left in the season. That's low typically for these positions. My backcourt's really low. Stefan Booker, neither of those guys are going to play 60 games, and they're both going to be my first team All-NBA backcourt. Same with LeBron and Durant, but LeBron is still 29 points, eight rebounds, seven assists this year, 50% from the field, 30% from three. That's down a little bit. 22 field goal attempts per game is a career, almost a career high for LeBron as well. So he's shooting the ball more and not shooting it as efficiently. So, you know, maybe some big picture stuff. There's some questions, maybe some stuff we'll get into when we get into playoff previews and playing games and all of that stuff. But the numbers 29, eight and seven, they're still fantastic. And LeBron last season was third team, all NBA and his team had a 25 and 31 record in the 56 games he played. This year his team has a 28 and 24 record in the 51 games he's played. They are they were the eighth worst team in the league last year, the worst team in LeBron's career. And this year they've moved up. Again, they have a chance to claim the 6th seed tonight. They could potentially climb as high as the 5th seed. This the Lakers are are competing to be in the upper tier of the Western Conference. LeBron is directly responsible for that. And if we're putting his injury plague season up against other injury plague seasons, LeBron's still the GOAT. LeBron is still the most powerful player in the league. I think he has to be respected that way. I think the Lakers are having a better season. And I think LeBron, move him up from third team, put him in second team this year. I yeah with Jimmy Butler I guess it's just him playing more consistently. Um, mm-hmm. I think playing availability has to matter at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know he'll I think he'll end up with 11, 12 more games played, and you know there in a couple of years LeBron and these other two guys wouldn't even Kawhi and Kitty wouldn't even be considered for this award. So you know LeBron obviously we can't argue with the stats how great he is. There's I mean there's just no. No world where you know you can argue LeBron or Jimmy Butler over LeBron, um, in terms as players. And so you know if it's it's definitely with these forward spots as we get to the second and third team, it's it's really close. I think it's really messy because the great guys aren't playing that much, and there's some interesting pieces like Markinen who could you know who could challenge for these spots. Um, let me see who else I had on the list here. Yeah, Markinen was the main one. Uh, pushing for that spot in, you know, with and with LeBron and KD, I I highly doubt. I I think one of them is probably going to get knocked out for Markinen or Jimmy Butler in those in that second or third team. And, and you know, on my ballot, you know, if we're throwing out games, I probably 
would have KD and LeBron in second team and then throw Kawhi and Markkinen in that third team um, just based off of talent because, you know, those are the most talented guys. And, you know, they're all healthy for once, which is actually surprising. It's it's in it's an arguable. They're they're definitely the you know, I think that's definitely the hierarchy of who's who's the best players in the league. Um, but when you throw in games played, you know, uh impact for their team, that that's where it starts getting a little messy. If he makes any of the all NBA teams this year, LeBron will tie Kareem and Duncan as the oldest players to make all NBA. Kareem, 38 years old and 85, 86 was first team all NBA, 23 points a game, six rebounds that year, 50%, 56% from the field. Beat out a sophomore Hakeem by eight votes for the first team spot. Kareem, it was near the end of his career, but snuck onto first team at 38. Tim Duncan snuck onto the third team all NBA in 2014, 2015. 13 points, nine rebounds, 51% from the field, stud defenders. So LeBron continue to add the stuff to the resume. If he can hang on till next year, he has a chance to be the oldest guy ever to make all NBA. If he could potentially keep it up, but if he's able to make second or third this year, we'll tie those guys. Oldest guy, 38 to make it all on NBA. I don't think he's at risk to miss it entirely. I think he's definitely going to be on third team at least. I mean, it's LeBron James. The voters are going to vote him. Yeah. But second team, I think, I think just based on his season, he should be as high as second, but I don't think he's in danger. And I think he'll tie those guys at 38 for oldest guy to make all NBA. Yeah. It's, it's a whole head case with who's at those forward spots, especially with all three of them playing and playing well right now, you know, and Kawhi, KD and LeBron. But yeah, now that we got the forwards kind of figured out, um, I guess we can get into the little bit of the guards on the third team, um, or I guess last review on the second team. I guess I'll get Luca, Devin, Booker. I guess we can throw KD and LeBron in there in a beat. I had Jokic, KD, LeBron, Shea, Luca. All right, yeah, you you convinced me. We'll 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 forget about games played. Uh, you talk me into Luca. That's true. That's true. Uh, third team on NBA. This is where I guess I had a headache because there are four guys for two uh-huh. guard spots and uh-huh. I'm kind of in a pickle here. So we need help. I got Dame Mitchell, Jalen Brown and De'Arian Fox for two spots. Help me fix it. What well, help me with my homework here, Rem. So is Jalen Brown, are we making him guard eligible or forward eligible for all nba i think i think most people are considering him a guard um what does basketball reference say what does chat gpt say you check chat i'll check basketball reference and see what it says chat gpt because i feel like if Jalen brown is in the guard conversation against those three guys i feel like he's gonna be out but in the forward conversation i feel like we could put it on pause that we could come back and discuss it but again i already made the case for mitchell so mitchell i feel like immediately would have a stronger season and we'll get into some of the other guys but basketball reference says he's played 38 percent of his minutes at shooting guard 58 percent of his minutes at forward three minutes of power forward so most of his minutes spent in the front court so 
He okay. could go either way. For almost 40% of his minutes spent at guard. He could go either way. I guess it's up to you, whatever you want to decide. But if he is guard, I feel like he's quick elimination against those other guys. Yeah, we could probably check him at forward and so then you had you had Dame and Fox. Dame, Fox, and Mitchell, I guess, are now left as a three. So are you sold? Did I sell you on Mitchell as a lock when I made the case for second team? Because I made a strong case for second team. For me, he's a lock for the other third team guard then. Did I make the case where you can just write him in there? I I think so for Mitchell. Um, yeah, because I think he has the production and the winning. Um, but yeah. Dame and Darian, I think, are probably where we're at. You know, with Dame, he's shut down for the season. Um, he didn't even see him play and Darian pretty much. I mean, we got to reward someone from the Kings. And I, I think, I don't know, for me, Sabonis is kind of getting kicked off here at the end. So, um, I, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely tough. Cause it's one of those things where, you know, you kind of feel it's kind of like in the all-star game, you kind of feel like someone has to get the award here, but you know, and with Lillard again, another, another high quality season from him. When he stayed healthy, you know, averaging 32, 4, and 7 on um, 46, 37, and 91% shooting uh, for the year. Um, that total is a career high in points for him. By, yeah, I think two more than his previous one. So a significant step in scoring this year. But on a pretty bad, mediocre team. I mean, I don't really think anyone thought the Trailblazers were going to do much. I mean, they tried. I mean, Shaden Sharp has shown flashes. You know, they brought in Jeremy Grant. Um, they had Gary Payton, right? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. They had Gary Payton, but then he was traded. They got mm-hmm. he was he, he left town. So it seemed like they were building something, and it kind of fell apart. And before it even started, and. Um, yeah, another wasted season. I mean, for Dame. I mean, he's 33 next year. The problem guy. with Dame's season is, like you said, he is 32 points a game this year. There have been 41 30-point-per-game guard seasons in NBA history. And of those 41 seasons, only six of them didn't make first-team All-NBA. And only one season did a guard average 30 points a game and not make any of the all NBA teams. And that was Bradley Beal in 2019, 2020. So Dame would be the second player in NBA history, the second guard in NBA history to have this happen to he's 32 points a game this year, seven assists, almost five rebounds. Not only is the points a career high, the field goal percentage is also a career high 46% from the field 37% from three and before he was shut down for the season there was a stretch where for 35 games he averaged over 35 points a game the only players since 1980 to average 35 points a game for a 35 plus game stretch are Moses Dominique MJ Kobe Iverson KD and Harden so Dame had like elite offensive production this year. He had the production to get onto the all NBA team. But like you said, the Blazers suck. So I don't know what to do because the Kings snapped the playoff drought, longest playoff drought in history, 
Fox, they're his season, but Dame's 30 point a game thing. It just feels like it would be unfair to that high level of production to leave it off all NBA and to do it for a guy who, you know, was first team all NBA a couple seasons ago has been one of the top guards in the league. The guard pool in the league is bigger now. Lillard has to compete against more talent, but he's still up there. He's still one of the top guys. And the pedigree, like you said, we're giving out some pedigree awards here at the end. So he still did it for, I think, enough of the season to have a strong case to be on the third-team spot. Yeah, I mean, it's like you mentioned, obviously the stats are there with Dame. Obviously, you know, great production like we've mentioned beforehand. But like you also mentioned, the Trailblazers right now have the fifth worst record in the NBA. It probably doesn't help that they've gone, you know, one, two, probably that they've had one win in their last, I think that's seven games. Yeah. When without Dame, not, not a great time, you know, 11 out of 12 losses before that Minnesota win. But that did include Dame as well. He did end the season on yeah that's one in seven um he didn't play one of those games but uh one in pretty much one in five on the season and ending there so you know he contributed in it you know they he's part of the reason they're losing you know and the team they did have some interesting pieces they did have a solid team around him again he didn't get it done they shut him down early and when you look over at the kings i think no one was really counting them to be good um i don't think anyone would be you know, super surprised. In fact, that made me my, one of the most interesting things is that, you know, I don't know if it'd be the world changing if they really swap places with the Kings and the Trailblazers. If Dame was playing well, they figure out Jeremy Grant and they make the playoffs. I mean, they could easily flip places. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that it's just so momentous that the Kings finally made the playoffs that I, I think it just has to be celebrated. And, you know, we love Dame, but he's it, it's kind of a similar season from Dame. And this may be a little bit of, like, giving Russell Westbrook the MVP because he got the triple-double. But it's still historic. It's still historic that someone actually beat the Kings curse. They're actually in the playoffs. And, you know, maybe it makes more sense to put Sabonis in instead of De'Aaron Fox. But... You know, he's been the main orchestrator for this offense. He was, you know, one of the most clutch. He is going to be the most clutch player. And I think that all has to count for something when, you know, we didn't even know if if they we didn't know where they were going to be this season. I mean, I think it was kind of up in the air. I, I know people definitely were down on the Kings just because of the trade of getting rid of Tyrese. And it's turned out to help him. I think Sabonis had some interesting numbers at the end of last year, but Nothing near this level this year. And so I think that combined with how that he was, I mean, he was flat out. Fox was flat out the most clutch player this year. He finally got the monkey off the back for the Sacramento Kings. They won their division, which, you know, in basketball doesn't matter as much, but it's still something for these guys who, you know, I think they haven't won it since 05. It's a banner. Um, Yeah, exactly. I think that all matters for a young team going into the playoffs. Even if Lillard had a great season, it's it's something we've seen before. It's the same old rut, and um, it it may it makes sense in other years. If it wasn't for how much history wasn't around the Kings, I'd I'd say give it to Dame and it's, you know another year of greatness. But I think it's you know time to give it to one of the young bloods. 
I I'm I agree with you. I want to reward a king as well. So I'm gonna say Dame for now, but I'll, I'm gonna hold it. And when we get to Sabonis, if we if we decide something else, maybe I'll come back and put Fox in there. But for now, I'll say Dame. But you're right, a king does deserve to be on All NBA. Yeah, I guess I pretty much talked myself into it. Uh, so I have De'Aaron Fox and Donovan Mitchell at the guard spot and i'm guessing you have dame and mitchell right yeah all right looking at the forward spot um i guess we have Kawhi leonard um jalen brown and markinen is what i have competing for those spots i mean there's so many arguments for all three but chances are i mean chances are you have markinen falling here and put jalen brown and Kawhi in there you know, Paul George was making a solid run before he got hurt to compete for one of these spots and really make it interesting. You know, Kawhi versus Paul George. But yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, you got to go Leonard and Butler here to finish off the forward. Yeah, forward spots just because of, you know, again, pedigree. But, you know, we love marketing. But, uh, you know, I think pedigree is what is really kicking out marketing here. I have Butler on the third team as well. You had Butler on second team initially, so I think we're both in agreement. Butler is a lock now, all NBA. He's going to yeah. make it on. Yeah, yeah. I think what he's him just carrying the heat. I mean, they just got no one else. This season, 23 points a game, six rebounds, five assists, two steals, career high in field goal percentage, 53% from the field, 35% from three as well. That's... uh. Kind of up for Jimmy Butler, not known for shooting. Career, yeah, sure. Second highest career points per game this season. Highest career field goal percentage. The first time in his career, actually, he's over 50% from the field. So highly efficient. Like you said, kind of carrying the heat sneakily as well, too. He's sixth in the league right now in PER. Fourth in value over replacement player. Fourth in win shares. Second in win shares. Per 48. So advanced stats, darling, the numbers for Butler are a career high. And he's had a five-year run now where with the playoff stuff, it's been in Miami, but that goes back a couple seasons too as well. Philly, he gets that team in the playoffs, takes Embiid the farthest he's ever been in his career, and then minute jumps over to Miami, takes that team to the conference finals in 19, and then again in last year. And this season, he's upped his game. The stats are better. So the pedigree, I think he's established himself as one of the better forwards in the league. And we both agree, lock for all NBA. Yeah, I mean, Butler has a plus minus of 36 this season. Um, oh. Yeah, that's that's um, wild. It's definitely uh, interesting for Butler. You know, when he, like we mentioned, carrying this uh, Heat team, they've been really struggling this season for some reason after being – the number one seed last year, I guess going bargain shopping doesn't always pan out long-term. It's definitely, they've made some head-scratching decisions, you know, not trading Duncan Robinson when they could, uh, moving on from that contract. You know, they could have done some interesting trades with Tyler Hero as well, cashing in on his stock. I thought he would be playing better, honestly. But, you know, and Bam has improved a bit, but not enough. So, yeah, I think, I think uh, Butler is in this other spot. Uh, who did I have here? Oh, I did have Leonard. Yeah. Who, who do you have for the second, uh, Ford? I had it down to a couple of guys. Okay. I guess this is where Sabonis comes in. 
Is Sabonis forward eligible? Because I feel like he should be, but basketball reference again says he's logged a hundred percent of his minutes at center career high for Sabonis. The first Uh time in his career he's ever played center the entire season. Is Sabonis forward eligible here? Can I put him in the front court? No. No? He has to be center? I think 100% is pretty clear, bro. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of obvious. (laughs) Yeah. It's tough to overcome 100% of the minutes (laughs) at center if you're Sabonis. But I guess it comes down to, for me, to Jalen Brown. Like you said, Kawhi makes a strong Mm -hmm. case. Do, Do we need to hear a Julius Randle case at all? 25 I, not, points, I have a personal bias 12, against I'm not going to lie. 40 plus wins for the Knicks. They're back in the playoffs. I think Jalen Brown, 26 yeah. points a game this season. That's a career high for him. It's going to be interesting looking at him in this discussion because, like you said, Kawhi, the pedigree is there. Julius Randle even was fifth in the MVP ballot a couple seasons ago and has been on second team all NBA. He has pedigree. Markinen has numbers this year. I don't think he's going to beat out any of these guys, no. but you're going to, you know, he's going to be in the com in these conversations. Is Jalen Brown kind of a byproduct of this stat boom era where all these guys are having career numbers, the surge, the field goal percentage, the points, everything's up. Jalen Brown's up to 26 points a game this year. Larry Bird only did that three times in his career. Tracy McGrady only did it three times. Clyde Drexler only did it twice. Paul Pierce Nowitzki only did it twice. Dr. J only averaged 26 points per game in a season only one time in the NBA. Reggie Miller never did it in the NBA. So, you know, is Jalen Brown better than any of those guys? Probably not, but the stat boom era, is he just a byproduct of that? Or is Jalen Brown against Kawhi? against Randall has he done enough to push himself over the top against the guys with pedigree I I think I think it is close um I could see people putting Jalen Brown above just because the game's played going back to that there were I mean there were a significant number of times he's carried the Celtics um it's kind of been a trade-off with him and Tatum obviously Tatum like we've mentioned multiple times before Tatum can reach higher heights but you know, he gets to lower lows, and Jalen Brown is a big part of balancing him out and being that 30, 40-point game scorer when Tatum is having an off night. So it's definitely it's definitely close. I, I think that, you know, the production is there, but I, I it's it's tough. It's tough because Kawhi Leonard, like we mentioned, has a pedigree. We know he's just generally better player, and forwards are head-scratching because it's you know, it, we have players who we know are better, but it's like who had the better season, who had the more moments, who had the better, you know, who had a bigger impact on their team overall. And when you look at the record, I mean, you can make an interesting argument for Jalen Brown, but just the ascendance of Tatum, what he's done this season, you know, as well. I, I think Leonard kind of has to be there for that third team all NBA. And you know, I think I think he beats him out. Mostly it is a good chunk because of pedigree. But again, I think uh, when you look at when you're watching them play, I think the Clippers are just a different team when they have Kawhi Leonard in there. It's it's, it's close. It's close, though. It's not again, not a landslide. 14 of the 16 guys averaging 26 points a game this year 
have made all NBA prior to this season. The only two guys that haven't are Shea, who, like we both said, is a lock, possibly going to be on first team. Then we're talking about Shea as, you know, best guard in the league maybe next year. The other guy is obviously Jalen Brown. He is playing offensively with these other elite guys. And like you said, there are nights where you're watching the Celtics and you think Jalen Brown is their best player and still has room to grow offensively, defensively as well when he decides to lock in. Is he better than Kawhi? Probably not, but at least he can hang and be one of the better defenders in the league. So Kawhi, the 23 points a game this year, doesn't really tell the story. Like you said, you go and you filter that and go more recently. He's ramping it up. If he was playing like he was playing right now for the entire season, it's a yeah. different story. But Jalen Brown over the course of the year, I think he's done enough. I think the Celtics as well, too, just being one of the better teams in the league, the win total. I think they've done enough to deserve two guys on all NBA. So it's close and maybe it's going to create some spicy contract controversy once Jalen Brown gets these all NBA votes, but that's where my votes going. Jalen Brown career year. I have him on the third team, all NBA forward spot. Yeah, that is an interesting storyline to see whether Jalen Brown will even stay with the team, but you know, I I got Kawhi Leonard there, but I totally understand putting Jalen Brown over him. And with the center position, I kind of went with a spicy pick. You know, kind of a late running pick just because of the beginning of a season. We were talking for him about MVP, and now he's putting up those numbers again. We got AD here, you know, just because of his dominance. And, you know, DeMontis Svotis, obviously, again, it's similar like the last one, last conversation, and a lot of these conversations is, you know, we know who the better player is. It's who's had the better season. And, you know, it's hard to argue because Sabonis, obviously, like you mentioned, as we need to put a king on on this team on this team and um but i think you know like you you have mentioned when ad is right i mean i know you're one of the biggest believers in anthony davis so i mean did you did you just put in some bonus here with not not a second thought oh i completely agree with you all the games played for these guys are lower than it's ever been i don't know if that's a fact historically IT, get chat GPT on it. What's the lowest? I don't even know how you would search that, but the games played doesn't matter to me. Anthony Davis, 26 points a game, 12 rebounds, two blocks, 56.9%, 57% basically from the field. He's fifth in the league in PER at 28.2. That's been down the last couple of years. It was 22 a couple of years ago, 23.9 last year. He is back to fifth in the league in PER, top-notch guy. Like you said, MVP-level guy went early in the season before he got hurt. And I test-wise, just watching it, there is a case where people are complaining about five guards being on first-team All-NBA. Just I I test-wise, you could say Anthony Davis, just four, four, five forwards on first-team All-NBA, put AD, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, five, four centers maybe on first-team All-NBA at some point in possibility, if Anthony Davis can keep this high level of play up. But the dominance that he has had is just too much to overcome by Bam, by Sabonis. They've had good seasons. I think in the past, they deserve to be on All-NBA. I think, you know, in years where DeAndre Jordan 
Andre Drummond is sneaking onto that third team all NBA spot. I think in years like that, Bam and Sabonis are locks, but Anthony Davis has done too much this year. He is an MVP level candidate when he's out there. Third team NBA is too low for Davis, but I mean, what do you do? It's as it's as high as we can put him. Exactly. We're not, we're not, we can't put him over the top two. And, you know, for Sabonis, again, you know, he, he's been playing great. I mean, when you look at the advanced stats, you know, some some people have him, you know, second or third, you know, or third or fourth, you know, most valuable uh, center out there. AD is just a different level, a different monster, you know, when he's when he's right. And it's not it's kind of not close. I mean, I love Sabonis. He's, he's a solid player, uh, very efficient and has shown up for his team all year. He's done his job, you know, only missed two games again. But, you know, AD is AD. Anthony Davis. There's a reason why he was the first overall pick, why he brought his team, why he brought his, you know, national college team to national champion. Why, I mean, why LeBron traded the whole farm for him. He's just been that guy. And um, again, pedigree wins out over here. So for the third team, uh, we look over here, De'Aaron Fox, Mitchell, Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, and Anthony Davis is what I think of that, Jim. I have Davis as well at the center position. We both think it's a lock. Anthony Davis for center, Jalen Brown and Jimmy Butler for the forwards, and Donovan Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox for the guards. Since we didn't end up going with Sabonis mm. for any of the positions, a king needs to be rewarded. De'Aaron Fox, the clutch stuff this year, being amongst the top guys in the league in that stat and doing the fourth quarter stuff that he's done this year has been impressive. The historic stuff, like you said, breaking that playoff drought. The longest playoff drought in NBA history, 16 years, almost two decades long. De'Aaron Fox, incredible season. Dame, historic. It'll go under the radar. It's better than, than that Bradley Beal 1920 season, but not enough to get on all NBA. Unfortunately, it will have to go on the same shelf as that. Yeah, that's our picks for all NBA teams. Um, I think we you had some stats for some other other awards that we want to look at real quick. Yeah, I got some of the other awards down. We can go through these rapid fire. Where do you want to start? You want to start with the rookies, defense, most improved? Yeah, let's start with the rookies. The rookies are always interesting. The rookies. So I have the all-rookie teams here. We can go through those rapid fire and then rookie of the year quickly. So for my first team, all rookie Walker Kessler was the center. Bancaro and Keegan Murray were the forwards and Jalen Williams from OKC, J-Dub and Benedict Matherin as backcourt guys. Bancaro for me was rookie of the year. I had Jalen Williams second and Keegan Murray third. It felt like through the first mm -hmm. half of the season, Keegan Murray was strongly in that second spot, but Jalen Williams since the new year, 16 points a game, five rebounds, four assists, 53% from the field, almost 20 points per game in his last 20. The scoring just continues to go up every stretch. There have only been five rookie guards that have averaged 14 points a game on 50 plus percent from the field. Jalen Williams is one of them. Has he done enough to propel himself into the rookie of the year conversation? I have him second. I think he's strongly second, but 
he keeps getting better and better every game. Is he going to catch Bancaro here at the end for rookie of the year? It has been interesting. Paolo, it seems like he has taken a little bit of a step back here at the end of the year. I mean, I think at the beginning, it was looking like he would average 30 and 10. And, you know, he was looking like a superstar straight out the gate. And now, he, you know, he's he's gone a little. He hasn't he hasn't been as great these last couple. Let me let me see here. Yeah, he's, it definitely looks like he's taken a little bit of a step back. You look at his last five games, if it allows me to um or or not it could also not um but yeah i think i think there's definitely room to catch uh boncaro if he's not careful um i don't think he will but you know just because of that first overall pick you know the storyline and all that but yeah boncaro i guess he's still been 19 10 and you know 43 47 and 64 i need to work on them free throws but I did think I do think an interesting thing to point out is that you know where where's the third overall pick? What, what happened to Jabari Smith? Played seventy seven games. Can't really blame injuries, you know. And I I think you know averaging twelve and seven one. And um, I guess just being on the Rockets, you know, the air is kind of sucked out of the room when you have Jalen Green, when you have other players on that team. And, you know, he's obviously not really known as a ball handler kind of guy. Per 36, he's still averaging, you know, 14, 8, and 6. So, you know, it's not really too much of the points or too much based off of playing time. I guess that was the more interesting thing or something to point out is just, you know, Jabari Smith is just not non-existent. (laughs) Still had a decent rookie year. Like you said, double-digit points per game. I had him on my all-second rookie team. Duran, Jeremy Sohan, Jabari Smith, Malachi Branham, and Jaden Ivey was my second all-team. Malachi Branham, since February, is fourth in rookie points per game, 14.2. Amazing pick by the Spurs at 20 or wherever they got him there. There was some question, you know, Walker Kessler goes in that range. There's some guys that, have some real potential that they could have grabbed. Branham seems like he might be a hit, though, with his shooting, his two-way ability. For the all-defensive teams and for defensive player of the year, my first team all-defense, I had Bam Adebayo at center, Jaron Jackson and OG Ananobi as the forwards, Drew Holiday and Alex Caruso as the guards. And I had Bam as defensive player of the year and Drew Holiday as close, close second. But those to me are the two best defenders in the league at their position. Drew Holiday, peak Drew Holiday is definitely the best guard defender in the league right now. And Bam just night to night is really putting in the effort defensively. He's going for defensive player of the year. He's trying really hard. Guys like Davis and Bede, you know, there are guys out there that may have that may just be better defensively when they want to can maybe be more imposing, but bam, he switches out. He does everything. I think he's earned defensive player of the year this year, but bam and drew holiday to me, two best defenders in the league. So you have Caruso in there above Marcus smart is what I'm hearing. I have Derek white on second team over Marcus. Wow. Smart. Wow. That's tough. That's a huge drop reigning defensive player of the year. Yeah, I mean, Marcus Smart definitely has taken a step back, and Derek White has 
been their best defender, but you know, that's that's a huge step back. Hasn't Marcus Smart been also injured for quite a bit? Or am I making up yeah. stuff? Okay. Yeah, he's he's had a little bit. He's definitely been banged up this year. Um, yeah, neck to neck a neck injury, neck to neck, day to day injury with a neck neck thing. So, you know, that's that's I guess my big headline for that is that, you know, Marcus Smart is really it's really been a huge jump backwards, which is kind of weird, you know, for guards. Usually it's because they're slow or something along those lines. And, you know, he's been injured a little bit, but it doesn't seem like he's slowed down that much. It's just, just not been as great a defender this year as he was obviously last year being the defensive player of the year. The other guard defenders on this list as well, too, have just had really, really good seasons defensively. Drew Holiday's been really high level. Caruso, just like some of the defensive plus minus numbers, some of the box scores and advanced advanced stats that he's putting up. You just go, Caruso is Caruso the best defender in the league? But Drew Holiday to me is still the best guard defender in the league. Caruso, though, put him on first team all defense. Jaron Jackson and OG Ananobi in the forward spots. The second team all defense, Brooke Lopez for the center, Nick Claxton and Jaden McDaniels at the forward spots. And then Derek White and Dylan Brooks for the guard spot. Your thoughts? You said Claxton and who? Brooke Lopez, Nick Claxton, Jaden McDaniels, Timberwolves, Minnesota Timberwolves, Jaden McDaniels, hmm. Derek White, and Dylan Brooks. Okay. Um, is Jaron Jackson Jr. on the first team or first team? He's his forward. Oh, okay. I guess maybe Mobley is the main one I've seen. But yeah, that's that sounds about right. For those guys, I mean, you know, it, with defense, it's one of those things. Either you're doing it or you're not, because it's mostly effort with ninety percent of the defense. And you know, these guys are. I, I mean, these this list definitely makes sense. I mean, when you watch the games, these are definitely the best guys playing defense. And um, yeah, I guess just the crazy part is Marcus Smart not on anywhere to be seen, which was expected. I mean, we've been known he's taking a step back this year. It's just you know surprising when you look at the whole season. Oh, so who's your defensive player of the year, Giannis? Oh, Bam. I had Bam. Bam? Okay. All right. Yeah. Bam. Drew Holiday, very close yeah, second. You can make a strong case for it. No Anthony Davis on the all-defensive team. No Giannis. No Embiid. I mean, you could put those guys on there if you want, but yeah. they're already on all-NBA. We get it. They're yeah. amazing two-way players. No Mobley, like you said. No Jared Allen as well. Best defensive team in the league, not getting a defender on the all-defensive team is probably a mistake by me. <laughs> but both of those guys not on. No Draymond as well either. Draymond no. was the other big snub. Gobert. Still a high-level defender. No, no, Gobert. No, Gobert. DeAnthony Melton. No. Dav Davion Mitchell. Anthony Edwards. Davion Dante DiVincenzo. Is he really a... I mean, I know he's a good defender, but like a contender. Yeah, he's, um, yeah, now, he's, a, he's in the mix. Gobert is definitely like, uh, you know, that's an IQ test for how, how much you're watching basketball. If you, you think Gobert should be a defensive player. You have a, do you have a different defensive player of the year? No, no, I, I did. I guess, I, I guess I didn't really think of Bam of that. I'm not going to lie. I haven't been watching the most. Miami Heat games. I know he's been a great defender the last couple of years. I think Lopez, I think he, I really thought he was going to really contend for that spot if I had to pick one because I, I think this year he's definitely just upped his numbers. I think it's definitely been his best defensive year 
him or Drew Holiday. I mean, I pretty much had the teammates fighting it out for it. So that's who I had at the top two. I mean, I was going to go with Lopez. I can switch it to Drew Holiday. He was very close second. I'm all in on that. I love Drew Holiday. I haven't checked the odds on Defensive Player of the Year until now. I checked the odds on the other two that we're going to talk about quickly, most improved and six man, but hadn't checked them on Defensive Player of the Year. But Jaron Jackson right now is the favorite at minus 145. Brooke Lopez second at plus 115. Bam is kind of a long shot at 65 to one and you can't even get odds on drew holiday so drew holiday disrespected by the odds but not by us he is the best guard defender in the league regardless of what people say the stats you know cleveland is the best defensive team in the league milwaukee can play right up there with them when they want to lock in drew holiday is the captain of that defense I think we, I think making him defensive player of the year is the right move. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I definitely, I, you know, there's some crazy plays at the beginning of the year and you know, that combined with his offense, I, I think he should get a reward of some kind. I, he's definitely, he's been, he's been on a different level this year and stepped up to be the second best player on the best team in the league. Should have, should have been on all NBA last year. I don't know how Trey young made it on all of on over drew holiday. Yeah. It just there was too much good guard play this year in the league. I mean, we didn't even talk about Brunson, Halliburton, Harden put up 20, mm-hmm. 20 points, 10 assists this year. There's just too much going on for him to be on an all NBA team. But his two way ability is that high level. He is in the mix with those guys. I feel like rewarding him with defensive player of the year is the right thing to do. He deserves it. To quickly go through the last two, most improved. The leader in the odds right now is Lowry Markinen, minus 280. He's kind of running away with it. He yeah. kind of fits the bill of everything you want to find in a most improved player. His first five seasons in the league, he averaged 15 points a game, six rebounds, 41% from the field, 36% from three. This year, up to 25 points a game, nine rebounds, 49.9% from the field. from the three and 87% free throw percentage, almost sniffing 50, 40, 90 on 25 points a game this year. He was saying in interviews during the all-star break and just earlier in the year about through his career, he knew once he found his confidence in his shot and once his shot started falling, he could be an elite scorer in the league. And that's exactly what's happened this year. He's knocking down again. At a, he's knocking down shots at a 50, 40, 90 rate, 25 points a game. Shea is second at plus 230, but I just don't feel like he's what a most improved player should be. Yeah. I feel like marketing more fits that. Again, the odds reflect that at minus 280. To shout out a guy that you have a lot of stock in and Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges. I've been secretly buying up a lot of Mikhail Bridges stock the last couple of weeks. I haven't told you about it, but Hmm. he's been 27 points a game since he's been on the Brooklyn Nets. 49% from the field, 41% from three, 90% from the free throw line. An all defensive guy who's getting these go-to score reps and actually averaging 25 points a game and being efficient. He hasn't done it for the season. I get marketing season is better. Mikhail Bridges, it's just been since the trade deadline. But long-term going forward, this season I think is really important for the growth of his game because his defense has been so good. 
because he's been in those defensive player of the year conversations and because now he's getting the run as the guy in Brooklyn and he's actually being efficient while he's doing it. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've been pointing to since he got there. Um, it hasn't really turned to wins yet, but you know, he's just starting out and they'll figure something out. I'm kind of surprised you didn't bring up your boy who has way lower odds or way closer odds in Jalen Brunson. Uh, from 16 points last year to 24. Um, and like we mentioned, similar to um, similar to uh, Mikhail Bridges, you know, still at an efficient level, 49% from the field, 41 from three, um, 82 from free throw. So a little dip, but significantly a lot more attempts. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, if I were a betting guy, I wanted something sneaky, I'd probably go with Brunson for MIP if he could come out of nowhere and win it. Brunson is probably a better bet, and the Knicks are a better team than the Jazz, too. Marketing season, the Jazz, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. They're behind the Mavs as well. I think they would have to go through the Mavs even to get to the play of the yeah. game. The Knicks, the Knicks are almost going to be at 50 wins. Brunson, like you said, eight points per game increase from last year. But I just don't feel like you can win most improved player if you get paid $100 million in the offseason. It mm -hmm. just feels like a team has kind of already said you're a top-level guy. So, like, Shea was a young guy who just kind of hadn't been unleashed yet and was fully unleashed this year. Brunson kind of already had proven that he was a top guy in the league. A team gave him the bag to be that, and he just proved that he deserved every penny he got in the offseason. I love Brunson's season. It's, like you said, a better bet. But Mikel Bridges, it needed to be shouted out. I bought up a lot of stock the last couple of weeks under the table. Yeah. I didn't I didn't embezzle any out of your account. Don't worry. All your oh, funds, okay. all your Mikel Bridges Good. funds are still there. Those are the candidates. I think marketing, though, minus 280 is going to run away with most improved. Not to push, but I guess with Mikhail, it's it is half a season. Um, and with with going back to that Bridges point or not Bridges, uh, Brunson point, yeah, the Knicks paid him, but everyone was looking at him like they're crazy. They're like, who, you know, yeah. the Brunson sweepstakes. No one else was going after him, so his perception around the league was, you know, he was a backup guy who got, you know, who got some point, who got some playing time. He had some shots attempts. You know, he he played really well in the playoffs. But I don't think anyone thought he could reach the level he did this year. So, you know, it, it is it is a it is, I think it's really I think it is closer than, you know, you're giving credit just because, you know, no one thought he one team did think he was a top guy. But they were already they already have been punting on other superstars to get. And he was kind of the only guy they could get. Um, And they brought his dad and all that. But, you know, I think anyone at that point in time, no one no one really thought you know, from the most people around the league that he would reach his level and thought their Knicks were crazy. And so, you know, it's definitely, I think it's still improvement, a big improvement from where it was before. And Mikel Bridges, due to the trade as well, is on pace to play 83 games this year. He's on pace to play more than a full regular season worth of games. The last guy to play more than 82 games in a season, Josh Smith did it in the 14-15 season. Josh Smith traded to the Rockets and was influential in that comeback against the Clippers in the playoffs with Harden on the bench. But Bridges, like you said, Brunson, I could, I'm all for making one of these guys top guy on the ballot. I, I, I get the odds are not there, but 
I've loved both of these guys' seasons. The Bridges thing, I talked me into it. I'm there. Yeah, I mean, Bridges is great, but, you know, I think Brunson's a winning player, and, you know, he'll probably – if I were if I were voting, I, I, I don't know. I, I'd consider taking – I'd probably pick Brunson over all of them, honestly. I mean, it's, I'd, I'd probably probably take – I mean, Shea probably number one just because I love Shea, but, you know, Brunson would be a strong two over marketing because that team is really falling apart here at the end of the year. It's true. The the next winning thing, are you going to talk me into Bridges and then into Brunson? This is unbelievable. What's happening? Oh my God. I had marketing one, Bridges two, Brunson three. I feel strongly about that. Marketing, again, he just checks the box. He was the seventh overall pick at one point in his career. Five years is enough to where those expectations, like they did in, you know, the teams that had him, the expectations, they run dry. It's not like, He's making a leap from his second to third year from his first to his second year. He's not a young guy that should be getting better. He's had a career and he was a reclamation project for a team. And he jumps at 25 points a game, hovering around 50, 40, 90, almost double digit rebounds, electric shooter. I think he's done enough. Minus 280 as well. Heavy favorites. So marking in one bridges two, Brunson three. I feel confident in my order. That was close though. You had me shook me up a little bit. Hey, hey, we gotta, we gotta, we can't just let you walk through all this. We gotta make sure you, you know, you think it through. But who's your sixth man? So the odds for six man right now have a heavier favorite than the odds for most improve. Emmanuel quickly is minus three ten right now to win six man of the year, running away with it. He's fourteen points a game, forty four percent from the field, thirty six percent from three. The guy that you can get at plus 1,800 and is 12 points a game on the year, but the last 20 games Austin Reeves has put together, 17.5 points a game, 57% from the field, 43% from three, 85 from the free throw line. He's six in the league on the season in true shooting percentage, and he is a second-year guy, but he was an undrafted guy, worked his way up through the G League, two-way contracts, and has just continued to have accelerated growth through his career to the point where the last 20 games now, 17.5 points a game. He's a go-to guy for the Lakers off the bench, maybe in certain situations as well, like you pointed out way back earlier in the season. Austin Reeves could be the third-best player on this team. It's borne out. I get quickly is running away with it in the odds right now, but Austin Reeves has taken the leap. Yeah, I mean, quickly really had a <laughs> he had a really uh, efficient game, forty point game a couple games ago, and you know they do have Brogdon and Portis right now. You know, of course we have to throw in the top teams, uh, six men. You know, obviously they're part of the team's success, but yeah, I've been a big fan of Austin Reeves. You know. And I think it might be a little cheating because he was definitely starting in some of those bigger games, you know, when LeBron was out. I think he was starting there. So it is, it is a tiny bit cheating, but I, I am a fan of Austin Reeves off of anyone off this list. You know, Emmanuel quickly has been playing his role all year and, you know, has been more efficient. And um, I think he's pretty much been what held him back from really making a blow it up move with him and RJ, you know, maybe they'll, see what they got so i i wouldn't be surprised if quickly wins it but you know my personal choice of course is austin reeves 
just because of how he just kept that team afloat. He, he, I think he really started giving the Lakers hope when when they didn't have LeBron, and it was just him and AD. And they, I mean, he really is what first sparked this run. And then once the big boys came back, they're now able to carry him on to the promised land. But there was a stretch there. They needed him, and he showed up. And I, I think he totally deserves it. Brogdon at plus 230 is a strong candidate as well. 14.7 points a game, 48-44 shooting Thanks. splits. But I think, yeah, I just like the Austin Reeves season better. He's propelled the Lakers when they were going through a dark time. He keeps getting better. He maintains efficiency. And he's like doing scoring things for them, playmaking, doing stuff out of the pick and roll running the second unit. It's really incredible what he's turning into. And it's going to be interesting to see in playoff series, how much they rely on him because they're doing it a lot in the regular season. So he's a long shot. Malik Monk has better odds. Bobby Porters has better odds like guys you mentioned already, but it's just personal opinion at this point, but I just enjoyed the Austin Reeves season more than these other guys. And it's the adage we've had for a long time with the NBA in that 90% of players can play at an all-star to above level if they're in the right situation, you know, if they get the shots, if they're in the right system, you know, the, the great ones are the ones that it doesn't matter what's going on around them. They're just going to be great no matter what. But the talent is so high in the league that, you know, most of these guys can get to a pretty, you know, all-star or similar close level, you know, a good chunk of them. You know, we're not, we're not looking at you, PJ Tucker. If they get the shots and the things like that, and, you know, Reeves got his opportunity and he used it. And that's why I think he should definitely get that um, award. Is that about it on our list here? I think it is. That's um, it. We did it. Yeah, we made it. We <laughs> we did it. Big, big pod. I guess we did have a little bit about Victor Wambanyama. I just wanted to say that if you haven't seen that highlight of him missing a three and dunking it, you know, just go watch it. Just go. I mean, it it, it literally made an executive, you know, NBA executive pretty much mention how they might regret not tanking this year for him. Like, it's just, it's just bananas. He's wild. There's like a couple angles available. It's like from the back, you see the whole play in its entirety, but there's one that follows the ball yeah. and you see him do the step you see him shoot it the camera follows the ball on the jump shot victor wambanyan is out of the shot the ball hits the rim then all of a sudden he just see him he comes flying in for the putback slam it's just it's incredible the Spurs done their due diligence to get in the top four have an opportunity to get this guy in the draft lottery, lottery season is going to be tense because I mean, this highlight proves it. The stakes of this lottery are at an all-time high. So I know I have confidence in my team. I know it's, you know, I feel good about our chances to get in it. But there's three, four, five other fan bases out there with very equal odds to the Spurs. And they all are thinking the same thing. Hornets, Pistons, they're, hey, our team is the perfect situation for Wambanyana. Our right. odds are the best odds in the lottery. It's going to be tense. He is you know, clearly a high level prospect. Who do you think the GM was that uh, regrets not tanking? Because I feel like the top candidates would probably be the Blazers. They sat Dame for the mm -hmm. season. I think they it was pulled the, the plug a little too late. Yeah. 
They said it was in the West. Blazers, the Jazz, we know they wanted to tank earlier in the season. No. Cuban? Maybe. The Mavs? I don't even know. I don't know, man. It, I mean, and then you look at the deep in the stats. I mean, they lost that game for Wambanyama, and he only had, like, I think 15 points. Like, he hasn't been crazy scoring, but it kind of just doesn't matter because he's just he's just such a freak of nature. We haven't, you know, so no one has been this hype since, like, Zion, maybe even LeBron. So it's it's just wild. It's just it's just wild. Um, But, yeah. Probably Presty. Probably. Looking at frisbee corner just a little bit uh not much has happened um i guess iowa state our old rivals had uh, went to a tournament and had a couple losses but you know they're they're Love still to hear it yeah i know they they uh they had a, a interesting they were they were seated second best and i think they finished fourth so similar to us it's just their tournament may have had a lot better teams but we're not going to talk about it um, we're moving up in the rankings. We're out of the hundred, so we're ninety fourth now in the nation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Iowa State is still a lot ahead of us. They're thirty eighth, but we're working our way up. We're we're getting there. Also, this past weekend, um, in the frisbee world, was pretty much the top tournament before nationals. Um, called Eastern, so all the best college teams came together and played. And um, you know, of course, the number one team for the first time. The two-time defending champions, North Carolina, for the first time ever, finally won Easterns. Um, they're easily the favorite now to win Nationals. They were upset in the last big tournament at Smoky Invite by UVM Vermont, who has burst onto the scene this year. Um, or not UVM, uh, they, even though Vermont has been great. Uh, UMass, um, who's burst onto the scene and was undefeated until UNC beat them in Easterns in the corner final. So, and beat them soundly too. They, they went up, I think like six, one, I was watching that game. They went up six, one. So they beat them badly. They, it was, it was not close. And um, so right now, dark side is what their team is called at North Carolina. And number one, their coach, I think we mentioned is an Iowa alum. So he's, he's definitely helped us when we send him stuff. You know, he's pretty much called us dust. You know, not, not that good. Which you know, it's 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 a top best team too, a national team. You know, he has pointed glaring issues, but you know, it is. So there's a little Iowa connection uh, to UNC, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, they're always fun to watch. I, I'm a I'm a dominant guy. I like teams that are dominant. You know, I like the Warriors when they're rolling, and I like this team that they're rolling. They're probably gonna get their third in a row, but who knows? There's some good East Coast teams which will challenge them. So. Let's How many see. weeks till nationals? Nationals, till we have starts. We have so we have sectionals coming up, and that's not this weekend, but next weekend. So next week we'll probably know the schedule, probably know what's going on. It is in Lames. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, Ames. And um, <laughs> yeah, got it. And uh, yeah, we gotta we gotta earn it though. We gotta earn it. We're we're not we're not the favorites going in. We have a two-time sectional championship champions to defend over in Ames. They've beaten us several times. They beat us by 10 last time we played them. So they beat they beat us pretty soundly. We had guys injured. We have excuses for that game, but we don't want to hear them. We gotta, we're locked in. You know, we're we're definitely regrouping, focused. So I mean, this is it. Uh let us know if you want to see. I, I just finished making a movie, but 
A uh, fifth of our roster is seniors. And so a good chunk of us are graduating. There's a lot of upperclassmen. And um, yeah, I mean, this is it. This is this is kind of it. We we do expect two pass sectionals, but it's one of those things where, you know, it's Iowa State, it's in Nebraska won OCO, which was our last tournament, which we were at, and they're in our section, but we got fourth. So technically Nebraska's ahead of us. So if they get second and then we mess around with you and I and get beaten by Northern Iowa, then we're out because it's the first top three teams make it. So, I mean, we, we definitely cannot, you know, underestimate anyone there and um, we're, we're ready and locked in and, you know, Iowa state looks human, so we can definitely beat them. We just got to lock in. What's the landscape of ultimate Frisbee look like right now? What are the powerhouse teams, blue blood schools? Who's good this year? You said UMass burst onto the scene. Do they, have they sucked in years past? They've been a solid team, um, but they're this year. They definitely, I mean, they were undefeated. Um, they beat UNC several, uh, uh, back at Smoky Mountain, but then, you know, they did lose at Eastern. So UNC took back that top spot. I don't think people in the sport really didn't, you know, trust that UNC over, you know, not being the top dog still. They're just stacked with talent. They have the most under 24 players under 24 on team usa which is a big indicator you know how good your team is by how many players are on just the national team because our national team is just stacked and all the good players go on it i mean it's an honor to be on team usa there's no it's not like nba yeah <laughs> let's just put it that way um but uh to FIBA. exactly shout out uh colorado is usually the second best team but so far this year they haven't been great um, and, um, I guess at the top, uh, Texas is a solid team usually. Um, let me see here. There is actually a, a ultimate Frisbee rankings page, which does a really good breakdown of the different, uh, stats that they have for, uh, the rankings. And they actually explain pretty well why they have each of those rankings and they do club as well. Um, but right now, the most interesting part is BYU is usually up there. They're second in the nation right now, according to the stats. And the funny part is they can never go to nationals because they can't play on Sunday. And nationals can't be moved because it's filmed by ESPN. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. But, yeah, right now the top five, according to the rankings, are North Carolina, BYU, UMass, Texas. It's really, they they they're usually a solid team, but not this good usually. Um, Vermont, and then then we start getting to Colorado, Cal, California team, Cal Poly Solo, uh, Pittsburgh, who also who were the first ones to give UMass their first loss. They gave them in the pool play, and then um, UMass lost again. And then Oregon and Santa California Santa Cruz. So it's on the coast. It's East and West Coast that are the best teams, and that's why they get the most bids to nationals. I'm on Alti World looking at D1 rankings right now. Is that Michigan I see at 17? Yeah. Is that big? Is that the Maize and Blue? Maize and Blue. Hail to the victors. They are a solid team. We did play Michigan B actually at OCO. That, that's like our, I'm trying to remember, not OCO. Um, I don't think we actually played Michigan B, but yeah, they're, you know, they're five and 10, but they're up there. And that's just because. This is the talent they have, and they're usually a solid team. You know, they're they're usually somewhere up there in the twenties, twenty fives. So yeah, yeah, Michigan is a good team. They are they are a solid team. 
best all-round school academics athletics right. put okay. all the athletic all right. All right. competitions together right. university of michigan's number one right. that's the i way. like the logo that's on here too kind of a retro logo crazy m yeah a lot of them are like strikes or m's or stuff like that so yeah i think we stole ours from carlton but we don't talk about it so does um, ulti world have team pages oh yeah you can look at an article michigan Michigan oh, deep dive. Uh, it's not going to tell you who the star players are. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we we don't we're at least above any B teams. Um, UMS B is kind of close, but there was a stretch there. We had a couple B teams in front of us, but now we no longer do. So that's a win. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Iowa State is forty eighth. We're ninety third. So that they're hating on us. They doubting us. Um, but we're, you know, I mean, they've handled business and we haven't. So we're definitely, we are, we're, we're high, we're happy for sectionals and we can't wait to get another chance at them. And, um, uh, I guess from Hug Finn, the main thing was, um, you know, them losing to, uh, let's see here. They had a pretty bad loss. Yeah. They lost to Missouri four to seven and then seven to nine. And the one time we played Missouri, it was we were up on them actually by a couple points, and then they came back to beat us on the last one. So that was, you know, that's a little uh, transitive property of transit or whatever. So, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Where do you download um, the full rankings at? Um, so if you go to frisbee slash rankings dot com, it gives it's. I mean, it's just uh, yeah, that's just the uh, the best. I mean, you can do ranking, you can do a calculator, but it just shows the rankings. It shows the season, the the games they've played. It explains why some games don't count because of just how badly they're beaten. It shows what percentage of the games are the count, you know, where, and then they show the event, the date. I mean, it's just easily, I mean, this might be even a better resource than some actual sports. So, sports so. reference, start an ultimate frisbee page, ultimate frisbee.reference.com. We need it. We do. We we do. We very much need it. But uh, that should be about it for the podcast. Thank you for listening to Rem and Sam. We'll be back again next week. I think we'll have some playoff previews for NBA. I think, I think so. Yeah, I think it'll be about that time. And, you know, a little bit of sectionals previews for Frisbee Corner. It's a whole lot of previews for the postseason next week. And yeah, make sure you follow Rem and Sam on the Instagram. Rem is continuing to push out great reels. So go and support, follow the channel, follow us on Spotify. And yeah, shout out to new listeners. And I've been getting some people saying they're listening. So thank you. Thank you for support. And yeah, make sure to look out for more episodes. Hey T, drop a link to Sam's video in the episode description.